See? I'm very, I'm very good at making American jokes, so you can go fucking right. <laughs> Here we go. All right, we have started. Everybody, wait, wait, is it, is welcome. It the, the only Irishmen that are worth okay. the shit are the ones that moved to America. Oh! Oh! Everybody, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Break the Rules. I'm your host, Lef Poliak of Lefpo on Twitter. We have got newcomer Tom Sauer, and we are joined back with Uberboyo, and of course, the great Giovanni Penichetti is here in the house. Welcome, everybody. I am very excited about today's conversation. We are going to be talking about... Uh, War, uh, trauma, uh, healing, all of that stuff. All the stuff that makes us who we are. So, uh, Tom, let us start with yourself. Uh, you are a very interesting uh, person. I've, uh, I'm just very much in admiration for the things that you do. Like, you're a former Navy bomb squad, and right now you are helping uh, to bring mental health and addiction treatment to uh, veterans. So can you please just tell us a little bit about how you got started? But before that, I just want to say to everybody that's listening, number one, subscribe if you have not. Number two, I'm going to post a Twitter post, which is the promotional post for this. Please share that Twitter post right now. Everybody share it so that the word goes out that this stream is going on. I appreciate each each and every single last one of you. Anyway, with that, Tom, go for it. Hey, all right. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, my name is Tom Sauer. I am uh, currently in Newport Beach, California. It's real rough out here. And uh, uh, I uh, spent most of my time in the military up until just a few years ago. Um, and then, like you mentioned, currently our current business is uh, providing mental health and addiction treatment to veterans. Um, I it was it ended up being a convergence of two things I really enjoyed. Obviously, I absolutely love my time in the military, best years of my life. Um, I think I had a, I was very fortunate in my career. One, um, I have all my fingers and toes. That was one, which is good. Mm -hmm. And uh, <laughs> uh, then also one aspect of my life that really affected me was very much addiction, mental health, and that was through. Um, my father, my biologic father, all growing up, struggled with drugs and alcohol his entire life. And it actually ended up killing him uh, about right when I was in the summer of, actually today's the first, so I think on Saturday will be 22 years from when he died uh, of a drug overdose. He's buried uh, about 50 miles from here out in, uh, out in the California desert. And the property where he had is now, uh, you know, the bank took it. And so it was resold. I don't know what's out there now. I can't even visit his gravesite anymore because it's surrounded by drug dens and crap and trap oh, houses. So, yeah, so, it, you know, it was, it was it was rough. It was something he struggled with his entire life and I knew about it. And he was a very successful businessman for a while. And obviously demons caught up with him, got the, got the best of him. And uh, so then and then three days later, five days later, I graduated from high school. Three weeks after that, I, uh, I left for the Marine Corps. And um, obviously, it's something that really stuck with me. I didn't really have a whole lot of time to grieve. You know, my ass kind of got kicked into adulthood. And uh, and then afterwards, you know, had a career in the military for, um, for you know, about six, 17 years after that. And when I got out, I wanted to do something different. Because I got out, uh, I was living in Washington, D.C., worked for a defense contractor for a while, as you do, part of the, uh, worked for an Israeli defense firm. I uh, really enjoyed it. I mean, it paid well. It was a good job. They sent me to Norway. I was basically selling special operations and combat diving equipment to partner militaries. So I go diving with the Norwegian special forces. I went to Israel. I had a great time, but it just wasn't really, it wasn't really any upward mobility for me. So I wanted to do something different. Addiction, mental health is something that always stuck with me. So I started a company Got together a couple investors, got uh, some partners on board, got some great accounting and legal representation, and then we um, acquired we acquired a small outpatient center about almost two years ago in here in Orange County, California. I moved from D.C. to Orange County 
out here, Newport Beach. And then a few months later, we acquired three more locations. And now we're about to acquire uh, a fifth location, which is great. And then um, recently, we um, we were, were contracted right now to treat veterans through the Department of Veterans Affairs, and which is fantastic in a lot of ways. Because we didn't initially plan on treating just only veterans, but we um, it just kind of, kind of fell into it. And it worked out perfectly. So um, it's... It's pretty fantastic. We've got a huge mix. I mean, I've got a former Navy SEAL who's with us right now, who's only about 30 years old, and I've got a 78-year-old Vietnam veteran, too, with me as well. So, I mean, it's like this huge mix of folks, and uh, it's been really rewarding. It's been very challenging at times, but now – and it really just – the biggest challenges were really from just, like, on the business side. I've got a phenomenal staff. Like, they're really outstanding. And when it comes to like that internal workings, treating everyone like the, we've got that dialed. We really do. The biggest challenge for me were just all the boring stuff, the accounting, the legal, the compliance, just checking the bank accounts. Like, are we making enough money? You know, am I able to make payroll? And it really for the past nearly two years, it's just been, you know, like every two weeks, every fortnight is just a win. It's like, oh, we made payroll. We made payroll. And that's great. We started at, you know, six employees about almost two years ago. And now I've got about 40 I got checked mm, about wow. 40, both full-time, nice. part-time uh, employees and um, couldn't be happier. And we're, we're only growing. So we got another location we're looking to expand to. We have a project back East in uh, Pennsylvania we're working on and kind of moving from there. So it's been fantastic. Yeah. That's uh that's us. That's Miramar. So yeah, you found it. So that's, that's yeah, Miramar recovery. And um, we're really happy with, uh, with what we've got going on right now. Last, uh, Let's see. Uh, yesterday was Memorial Day, obviously. So um, one of our locations in Laguna Beach, we had a great barbecue out on the park. Uh, a couple of guys spent a lot of time out in the surf, you know, uh, bought a bunch of ribeyes, steaks, just kind of got together. I brought um, our dog. He's around here. Bosco, come here. So we've got our therapy dog. Well, he's a therapy dog in training. He's only like a puppy. So there he is. So that's Bosco, the therapy dog. And, uh, well, soon to be, he's, he's only about nine months old right now, but oh. once he hits a year, we're going to get mm. him trained up as a full-time therapy dog. So now he's just kind of like the, the house, he's kind of the house dumbass right now, but he's, he's good. He gets fine as looks. He's okay. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, that's kind of us right now. I, um, my fiance, uh, works for the government right now. She's, uh, in the other room. So she has to listen to all this right now. So, uh, we got engaged. Uh, back in February at, uh, well, she was actually at CPAC. We've got a bunch of friends who are in, you know, political, running the political world. And, you know, you mentioned we had a couple mutual friends, Lev. So that was fun. It was actually, we got engaged at the Project Veritas party. <laughs> so oh that, was interesting. So James O'Keefe was kind enough to bring me up on stage in front of everyone. And so I got to embarrass her in front of everybody and we had the video up. It was fun. It was good stuff. Amazing. Nice. Yeah. Amazing. So, uh, Uber right, Boyo, how do you so find yourself CPAC- in the... At CPAC, yeah. people are getting married, but at AFPAC, people have cat boys. So they're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that AFPAC was like down the street, I think, when we were in Orlando. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they put out, a, they made a couple of scenes outside of the hotel. We, I didn't, I'll be honest, I didn't notice that. Uh, every, that's their tradition, as, as traditions. As they do. Mm. But they, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so, Uber Boyo, when it comes to yourself and the subject of war, uh, how do you, uh, let's say, uh, figure into all this as far as your uh, interest goes? Like, what are certain things that you've thought about, that you've read about, that uh, got you into, let's see, 
a good understanding of what exactly is going on here, which I hope to expand upon with uh, Tom today. Oh, well, I've, I've got loads of things I want to bring up with Tom. First of all, uh, how do I overcome the, 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 the trauma from getting oppressed straight away in this for being an Irishman? Oh, already, <laughs> already it's after oh. hitting me, the ancestral coming up. There's nothing uh, worse than being poor from Lemrec. No, I mean, no, it's fine. I, I, I think it's, no, I, I uh, obviously I kid. But it is kind of funny how that always gets thrown around, you know. Yeah. The, the, and then also, I think especially the, you know, it, it's kind of ingrained into American history of so many Irish immigrants and they're just the discrimination against them and how, oh, look, you know, they sure. were, I'm only joking. Like, I don't, I don't, then I don't think Italian we, immigrants came over like, and we kind of usurped them. So that's true. Was, yeah, I know. And now we're all just white people. So yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Well, Geo, well, Geo thinks differently when it comes to the Italians. <laughs> that's yeah. that's actually turning into a pre pretty significant problem over here because we're getting treated as like white people. So people call us like slave owners. And we're like, oh, bros, like come bro, on, like we were like we were thousands slaves. of years slaves, Man. and you're like, oh yeah, 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 colonialists. Wow. You're like, fuck's sake, there's there's bad reads of history coming over here and all this stuff. But we'll stay off that topic, or else we'll get people in trouble. And um, this stuff that you're discussing about here is absolutely fascinating. And I'm actually going to pick your brain. I'm going to kind of uh, cuckold Lev and Geo. I'm just going to come on the stream <laughs> oh, and actually try to dig into your mind a little bit more because I am um, I work in the field of psychology, if you will. Now I basically run a YouTube channel, so I I work work like talk about uh, a psychologist called uh, Carl Jung. And he talks about things that you might understand maybe as the sort of more artistic stuff. He talks about symbols and stuff like this. But there's an aspect of, of his stuff um, who, where he discusses a very famous idea, the subconscious or the unconscious. And um, people come and they come to me. They, they, I, I do uh, like come down for a free call, come down for a consultation. And sometimes I'll work with people long term and all that. I run a program and all this type of stuff. I've worked I've like quite a lot of experience now at this point. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of people at this point and one on one in the similar sort of you could say. I don't necessarily say therapeutic, but like working with people to get them towards higher elevations of their life as opposed to being like in bad places and all that. Now, sure. because I'm a dude and because I'm sort of in the Jordan Peterson sphere of things, Jordan Peterson really liked Carl Jung. I actually got a couple of soldiers. I've had a couple of soldiers come in to me who had been in war zones and they're dealing with PTSD. Yeah. And I had actually women as well who were dealing with, well, you could say abuse of various different degrees. And, um, Quite quite often, like the the theory that the, these psychologists would talk about is this sort of implicit idea that there's something, um, that that something bad can happen to you. They would call trauma that that can happen to you, and your it's like your nervous system, or they call it your unconscious, can store it, and this can turn into some type of. I, I can go really in detail with this if you want, as far as I understand it, but it can turn into some type of almost like haunting, where this person is is sort of fucked up for their lives. In the sense that, like they, they, it's like there's something inside of them that's that's at, uh, kind of gripping onto their soul and gripping onto their emotions and and holding them back from really living a, a correct life and all this type of stuff. And so, um, from working with people quite a lot, I've I've actually found it fascinating to see how this stuff manifests because, in some sense, there's this um, part of it where you need to, as Jung would say, you need to make the unconscious conscious you need to go into the maybe the experience of like i've had dudes who've shot people and stuff like this and get them to actually go back to that and sit down and often what i try to do with them is get them to write about it if you will or right. find ways that they can articulate it sometimes it's so intense that they can only maybe like paint about it they can't like directly articulate it but get sure. them to r resurrect those type of problems and actually confront them and it's a very very fascinating process the same thing that i have to do with uh, a woman for example who had something that would happen to her quite uh, quite uh, like traumatically maybe 
more like violence happening to her as opposed to the other sure. way around. And I find that fascinating on a first principle, the sort of similarities between confronting that. Now, that's one. Now, the second thing I think I'd love to talk to you about today is uh, the actual derivative uh, second thing, which is what makes, I've noticed, men and women dealing with stuff like this different, whereas I think soldiers have a unique problem where when they get um, uh, kind of, you could say, fucked up by war, an aspect of it is um, actually a surreal experience where they, they like I've had this said to me hundreds of times, hundreds, I've had this said to me quite a lot of times, not quite hundreds, um, that they would, um, they would kill someone and it, it's not as hard to do it as they thought. And they start to think that there's something kind of mm -hmm. fucked up about them. It's like, am I, wait a second. Like, I just did that and I didn't actually think twice about it. And I don't even feel anything. I'm not like breaking down into tears. And sure. it's weird. There's a surrealism about it. And what and this forms into. From that, I bet, as well. Right? There's guilt that comes out of that, I imagine, for some of those the, guys. The, there's all sorts of strange yeah. things because some people get guilt. Some people start to have this weird, um, it's it's a disassociation. So yeah. they come back to normal society and people say to them, you know, like, oh, everything happens for a reason. And they just like it kind of it screws with their head because they this is like someone who imagine your wife saying to you, oh, everything happens for a reason. And you're after like, you know, killing people in order to protect her reality. Like it just sure. it starts to screw with the head. And I, I talked to a couple of soldiers about this. Like they, they understand it as moral injury is what they told me. So it's, a, it's like a worldview um, breakdown in some yeah. type of sense. It's sure. a destruction. Destruction is what is real. I read a lot of Nietzsche as well. And Nietzsche yeah. talks about this whole um problem of uh you could say the the, the 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 cultural mass psychology is actually different than you could say what the fringe male psychology is which is the guy who you know and um, protects the civilization and has to kill in order to protect and create civilization right. and all this type of stuff and I, i'd find that quite a lot that would be a very very harsh distinction where these are kind of conversations that i don't think ever could be popularly discussed because they're just so brutal talking about the realities of death and blood and all this but then i, I don't want to kind of make it like oh men are special there is certainly like a, a common threads as well that are um, quite amazing as well so we have a lot to talk about and um, uh, like, yeah. kudos to you I, I'd, I'd love to know more about the the way that you're running your business and what's sure. going on with all that type of stuff and, and what experiences you've had and uh, if you've had any issues or anything like that like i'd love to hear what's going on because i'm kind of bashing on similar enough paths um, yeah. but, uh, and it's always interesting to share so thank you well before before we go on uh this came up a recent video uber boyle put out i love if you could link it about the nature of trauma but i also wanted to talk about another uh, rather infamous nietzschean uh that came later that was in war that was a soldier was oh. a baron uh well we'll get into that here um, we go but it reminds okay, we'll me bef it. before uh tom i wanted to what uber boyle was talking about it's very similar um to this one documentary um it's called first kill um it's by the journalist uh, michael Herr, who was yeah. famous for his book dispatches in vietnam which then malai took and well he took that in heart of darkness and then later on made apocalypse now the screenplay right and there was this one soldier that said there's three types of people one would be the people that knew it was wrong and it was terrible and they could never get past the moral implication of killing another man or woman or child because this was vietnam of course um number two were the people that they had this almost brutal primordial feeling of almost an excitement but they knew it was wrong but they would try to suppress that urge in themselves but then the third group he said was more common than you would think which were the people that like totally embraced the heart of darkness totally loved it they bragged about their killings they would cut off ears and put them in their belt loop and they would do these grotesque acts of war 
that in a scenario um and there's also another journalist that i want to bring up but yeah so go ahead tom this is your moment um <laughs> these are great well, questions by uber boyo and uh yeah and, uh, and also re real quick we're sure. also streaming on odyssey this is the link everybody subscribe to our odyssey account right now anyway go for it tom yeah well we we covered we did a big overview on about five or six big top and take a couple hours so i'm thinking all right so now let's let's rewind from we started off talking about uh, so Uber Boyle, let me know here, like the uh, talk about Carl Jung, right? And so, you know, like many people out there, I was first introduced to Carl Jung through Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan, right? I mean, like back, what, five years ago, four or five years ago, something like that. That was the first I'd learned about it. And, you know, that's why I started to really take a real deep interest in psychology. I'd written a couple, I remember, I read a few books about like violence and trauma. There's a guy named David Grossman who wrote a book called uh, On Killing. That uh, was something we actually had to require. Or we were It was required reading at the Naval Academy and talked about And he was a psychologist who talked about the psychology of violence, right? And how we, and it's funny you mentioned how there are certain groups of people who, you know, and, and look, I'm going to be the first to admit, like, I uh, never did anything like too, I did some interesting work. Most of the, a lot of the work I did was kind of the sneaky, snooping and pooping type of stuff. But it, like, I wasn't living Hurt Locker or anything like that. Um, you know, I never got into a gunfight, never got blown up, never got shot. I got a lot of friends that have And so usually whenever I, you know, people ask about experiences, I try to play them down myself and like, hey, I did some fun things, but it wasn't all that crazy. But let me tell you about so-and-so. Let me tell you about this guy. These are some of the guys. I like to prop them up as much as I can because, you know, it always sounds better when it's coming from somebody else, I guess. So um, there were a lot of folks I knew um, who, when it came to like the, the violence stuff, there's some folks I know who really struggle with it, like really struggled with it. Um, and then I know some folks who that was like, those are the best years of our lives. We went over there and it was great. We killed a bunch of bad guys and I fucking loved it. And I would I'd go back and do it again if I could. And like, they loved it and they did not appear to have any major psychological trauma or anything like that, at least none apparent. So, you know, that is what it is, but I got, you know, I got one friend of mine and I, I you know, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but he was involved in some pretty nasty combat. Uh, he ended up being in a situation where he called in, you know, indirect fire on a bunch of bad guys, you know, like artillery and stuff and uh, killed all the bad guys. But when they rolled up on it afterwards, there were a number of civilians, including some kids that were dead. And obviously there was not any sort of a war crime or anything. It was just as part of the casualties of war and it was awful and that really, really fucked him up, as you can imagine. And so he had a he had our time because he was, you know, naturally a pretty sensitive guy, normal guy. He didn't he's not the kind of guy that would strike you as a tough, hardened, grizzled kind of guy when you first meet him. So he had a tough time with that. When he came home, he had a lot of the same, you know, the predictable problems, right? They expected to have drinking, drugs, uh, you know, wife left them, divorce, all the things, you know, near, you know, he, he had hinted at it. he's kind of near suicidal. And he had a rough time pulling out, and, and he did eventually. And a lot of it came down to just like him, kind of us hanging out and talking about it, which is kind of weird because I'm not a therapist, I'm not, I'm not a clinician, but I guess we're we're close and we're buddies, and so we're able to kind of talk it out. And from there, he like stopped drinking, you know, saw you know got all the help. This is a number of years ago, and he's doing fan. He's, I can just say he's doing really really well now. But what's interesting is also I introduced him to a lot of the Carl Young stuff. You know, which is like through Jordan Peterson, all these other people. And he called me. He was like, I'm in like near tears. Holy, holy crap. This guy's saying things as far as like integrating my shadow. Right. Where's that like that really nasty part of me that we don't like to talk about at parties. Right. 
and like getting a hold of that. That was that was pretty interesting. Um, and I know, but like I said, I, I know a few guys who I think just might have had a penchant for violence. And this sounds crazy, but like a couple of the guys I, I've I've encountered from certain special operations units, like you know the ones you always hear about in movies, you know, like your SEAL Team Six and your Delta guys, and I and I, and I worked with some of those guys a little bit, right? Some of those guys I, I met, and I, I either working with them, or sometimes we'd be out in town, the bars in Virginia Beach or whatnot. You can kind of tell, like, this sounds kind of weird, but like they kind of had a crazy look in their eyes, and <laughs> and I could just tell, even just in a normal environment, I could see, and a lot of them looked like, you know, they'd be in a biker gang, right? And it's like I could tell that, like, if you weren't doing what you're doing, right, you would probably be a career criminal, right? Like yeah. it was like they had this certain maybe some they're wired, you know, some just built different. Right. And they, fortunately they were able to channel this, I don't know, what do you call it? Part about them into a positive, positive direction. Where, you know, the government's able to take them and train them, put them in a certain way where they're able to, to, you know, okay, cool. Like go be violent towards these people. Yeah. Right. Because if it weren't, they might be going, they, they very likely would be, I mean, there's some of that, these could be the same people that could end up being in like, you know, at least the same wiring of the type of people who'd be in cartels or the mafia. Right. But once they were, but once they were in the military though, did that change who they were when they came back to any extent where now, if given the opportunity to work for a cartel, they'd say no, yet as that Soviet Union poster goes. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that most of the guys I know who did it, they're still doing it. Um, and then, but I do know one guy who, uh was in and while he was in was doing some funky stuff now not necessarily violence but just you know running drugs right and that you probably read about the paper there's some guys that do that especially guys well, after who do, vietnam like, a lot special of operations work yeah violence, like latin yeah. america like that's a real thing yeah. um but it wasn't necessarily violence that's per se but um yeah it, it's it, it's really strange but one thing i thought was interesting like the david grossman book on killing he talks about that a lot is how like you, you know they talk about there's a certain number of people who do who commit you know very small number of people that commit the vast majority of the violence right that really get into it. and so a lot of guys you know an uber boy you were mentioning all these people in the military what's it, what it's like is the military is a giant organization it's the largest federal agency right in, in the u.s government and by it's far. not right by far yeah. and you've got you know um it, you've got every little click out there right and so I think there's like perception with a lot of folks that like everyone in the military is just like, you know, this like tough killer who shoots a rifle and do all these things. And like the folks who really do that sort of thing really truly for a living, there's very few, like very, yeah. very few, relatively speaking. There's a lot of folks out there where like, you know, after the, once they finish their basic training, whatnot, like, Hey, they don't operate outside of air conditioning. They, you know, I mean, they don't do it. Well, you know. they're pogues really. I mean, well, I, I mean, <laughs> And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say, that, you know, I've, I've done pogue jobs too, so to speak, right? I've done staff jobs yeah. or work in DC and I have a cubicle and, and, you know, for, and so for a, a very large number of the military and all sorts of folks, it's just another federal job. And, but they give you a uniform, right? I mean, it's, and, so, and you got to travel sometimes. I mean, really it's what a lot of it is. So there's a very small number of folks that are like, and these are the folks in the combat, in combat arms, right? In, in all the other services. And I spent some time around those guys and I did some of it, which was really, I mean, it's fast. I loved it. Loved every minute of it. Um, you know, I'd, I'd still stay, if I could, I'd stay at that level just forever, just be a platoon, you know, platoon OIC with an EOD team traveling all over Asia, jumping out of planes and going scuba diving and, you know, uh, doing hood rat shit with my friends, as they like to say, you know, that'd be great. Um, 
So I know I kind of rambled a little bit. So I hope I addressed that first question well. If not, can I you want can I clarify? Uh, yeah, there's I've loads of stuff that I want to say on that. Um, I don't there's know. Left you. There's a lot. Oh, we talked about a bunch of crap, and so I want to make sure I'm at least answering each question. You know, no, uh, at good, least addressing I'm, each one. I'm actually going to uh, lay out a thesis on, on shadow work now in, in a second, okay. but Le Lev, Gio, are we good for that? that? At, our, at our treatment center yeah, quite a bit. Before, like well, before we get into it, I just wanted to say that it's fascinating. You noticed um, the, the sort of parallels between how in every army, this is going back to ancient times now. Yeah. This is going back to the birth of professional armies. Some would say, I mean, they'd say Rome, but of course there's Greece, but of course there's also, you know, in Asia, Asia Minor, there was a bunch of professional armies. There's always sort of that um, brain drain of the criminal world and this connection psychologically between criminality and the ranks of certain um, very like stark and very um, surreal experiences in the military even up until the re recently there was sort of the refuse outside of society in various armies for example germany they had the derwinger group uh, the nazis would use them um and of course in america various times they would have um you know in vietnam they had the choice between the prison and the you know to go out and do your service right but it's funny how there's sort of chasing that limited experience or that limit that peak limit experience as as Bataille would call but to do that you have to sort of conform to an environment of incredible sort of like streamlining and rules of your life and so it's very interesting how we almost don't want to admit that the people that are to quote unquote protect our freedom they have to share the same psychological traits, 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 uh, psychological traits as the most sort of um, the most like hidden aspects of society. And even like then, of course, psychologists and of course, people that were scholars that were inspired by people like Michel Foucault talked about the carceral regime of the barracks is similar to that of the prison and so forth. So it's yeah. very interesting that. Well, it reminds me a bit of this uh, quote from the movie The uh, Good Shepherd. I don't know if you guys saw that movie with uh, Matt Damon and Robert oh, yeah. De Niro. Where, but this one, it talks about uh, something different. It talks about uh, the uh, CIA. So kind of like the other side of it. Not the rough and tough, but more of the people behind the scenes. Kind of like the uh, the uh, geeks, however you want to call them. The CIA has those guys too, though, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, no, I'm, I'm sure they do. Right to the CIA, yeah. yeah. And so I... I, b I believe that the quote was that uh, we want we want the CIA to be America's eyes and ears, not America's heart. So mm. when it comes to balancing out, like where you put the people who are, let's say, the most willing to go through a lot of these very uh, horrible, violent things, uh, like it's it's a very tough thing to say. Like, how do we balance this out? I mean, today I'd say maybe there's not as much of that as there is something that let's say people who look at a post comparing, let's say, the uh, Russian or uh, Chinese military to the American military, they would say, oh, no, what's happened to us? But I want to get that after Uber Boyo. After Uber, Uber Boyo I kind of want to pick your brain about that aspect of it as well, like where America is currently when it comes to maintaining a certain level of toughness versus uh, just becoming a bunch yeah. of lawyers and corporatists and all that. Who and end the up short answer to that is that the military sure. is a reflection of the society. Right. Okay. Mm. We're going. That's a short answer, but we can get into it a little bit more. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So, we're we're going to go for it, my friend. Yeah. 
Sweet. So I'm, I'm going to wind the back all the way to the concept of the shadow because the shadow is a fascinating concept. And it, what's what's so fascinating about it is the thesis underneath it is that um, generally speaking, one of the best ways to access your shadow is to look for what you feel guilty about, like yeah. search for your guilt and see what you're ashamed about. Often that will spin with people with sexual stuff. This is yep. why it's quite commonly kind of spun in that type of way. But also it's like bad things you've done and things you feel bad about and things you feel guilty about. Now, I'm going to kind of spin into Nietzsche and a lot of the stuff I might say might even come across as a bit shocking, but these has been, this is like derivative of me sitting down with people like this stuff and, and trying to really think through like, uh, like when, when you get told several times by people, yes, I, I killed someone. Yes. I was standing there and there was a child like missing an arm or something like that. And I didn't feel anything. It's really fucked up. Like it's, it's kind of hits you hard and uh, because they say that stuff and you, you can't just do that thing where you're like, Oh, that's wrong. Oh, you should have reacted. You can't shame them because that's not right either. You have to actually sit down and think to yourself, there's something about human reality and human nature going on here that is beyond my comprehension, beyond my understanding. Yeah. And um, what I find fascinating about that is that the, the, the thing that can either someone's going to get destroyed by their conscience if they if something like that happens if they kill someone their conscience is going to eat away at them make them feel guilty and eventually break them and make them break down or they won't have a conscience and sometimes they'll feel a bit weird about that as well and so you get this sort of concept called you know the conscience or a guilty conscience i'm sure you've heard about that before now what I found fascinating from Nietzsche and he's got a book called the genealogy of morals where he talks about this is that there's this um analysis understanding that Nietzsche has of the ancient world where he calls the ancient world he might even you might even say the jungle the, the natural world and the ancient world is is closer to that than our modern world and he would look at that and say um in that world violence was the law violence was the rule the and death was very death is very very common in the jungle gazelles die lions eat lions dive off other lions and in ancient roman greece like people would die all the time and it was very very common and he would read he was like a literate guy so he'd read through a lot of the literature and he'd constantly find references to people observing violence and it was never actually that moralized like back in the ancient world even and i don't even mean maybe even ancient pre-christian but even like you know don quixote from spain and stuff like this right. there's this there's this acceptance of violence actually a sort of humor about it and yeah. Nietzsche actually described this with a word, word which he called innocence. He described that there was a, a very profound innocence where there was an innocence about violence in general. Like people could hurt each other and it was far more uh, digestible in general. It was understood as a kind of fact of life of some sort. And I've, I've noticed that the, there's, there's almost something, there's something to that that is quite strange because Nietzsche would say that the more we've sort of moralized or, or, or looked at something like violence as the ultimate evil, um, and, and hurt and abuse and damage and trauma and causing that as the ultimate evil. That's the worst thing you can possibly do. It's almost like we've robbed life and reality of its innocence. Yes. And that's actually made it hard to digest life and reality for that reason. So now when we go out and we hurt people or we get hurt, we're actually super shocked because it's like reality is hitting us harder than it should. Whereas those people back in the day, they never they never were, you could say, coddled from these realities. And this is not something necessarily to talk about Christianity either, because I know Nietzsche is very against that. Like even think about Jesus' story. That's literally a story about violence. Like it's the most yeah. violent story you can imagine. It's really tied up with the acceptance and understanding of violence in some type of sense. And um, so itself was actually somewhat routine. Yes. Yes. Well, it, goes along, and it goes along with death, like the Becker in 
death denial as well is that the the inability of modern man to realize mortality because we've been sheltered from it that also goes along with it and of course in the genealogy of morals you know, nietzsche says that um it was sort of like the overcoating of reason itself that led the ascetic caste to like overthrow the warriors and like through through their ability of intellect and, and shock mm. Uh, there's a lot of comp it's complicated, but basically, um, the warrior caste, the Katrias were replaced by the the Brahmins, if you will, yeah. uh, that use their reason to their benefit rather than brute force. And he said, ever since then, we've sort of fundamentally been detached from our instincts, you know. And then, and then other philosophers that came after, like Heidegger, would also say the same. So right, and, and I think a lot of that would ring true. And I, I think that when you talk about like the natural world, where violence is the norm, where misery, suffering, famine, disease, right? I mean, you, you can still find suffering like that, you know, in in the world today. There's plenty of countries that are very war torn, and where you've had, you know, people who've grown up since they're small children with violence all around them and with uh you know misery all around them um and whether it's not necessarily just violence right i mean it could just you know disease is a huge one starvation is a huge one you know i've, I've spent a fair bit of time in some you know third world countries and and i remember just the, the first time i really spent time in like a really really like just saw and witnessed with my own eyes like really extreme poverty was when i was, when I was in nepal and uh i saw that and i didn't know much about nepal when i went there we went there doing some intelligence stuff right you know who's who's right next to nepal I'm like, mm, yeah, you know. I wonder. yeah yeah who knows yeah so anyways we did some stuff out there and just talking to folks out there but i spent a little bit of time in Kathmandu, and that was the first time seeing this like third world metropolis and you would and it, there was stuff i just see that was just to me like shocking i'd see you know and, and so at least to me and that's the thing like what you talked about Uberboyo, is you talk about where to me it was like shocking whoa and it took me a while, you know, I'd see, you know, small little toddlers that were, you know, that had grievous injuries that were, you know, missing limbs and they were just carried around. Everyone's hungry or never there's disease everywhere. Everyone's living literal shit all around them. And um, it took me a while. And I realized it took, like, this is the norm, right? This is, this is like the norm of human history. Maybe not necessarily living in a big city, but just misery, violence, uh, disease, famine, just death all the time life is pretty cheap um i think that tr where trauma is pretty normal and where it's kind of, it's somewhat normalized and we saw a lot of that obviously we know about that through the ancient world or not I and mean, you don't even have to go that far back really and uh and there are some places in the world today where that's still you just have to go to the the streets normal. of Ire of dublin in the 80s i mean my god yeah. that's... <laughs> but then, uh, but, i mean but, it's true oh you could if you go to the streets of ireland on a saturday night you'll see plenty of trauma and violence believe me it's oh, yeah. <laughs> you know it's you know, really funny over just as, as a weird sidebar is that you know the uh, a lot of the modern uh bomb disposal is that stuff that we learned from, from the British, British army, yeah, and the, yeah. Right? And, yeah. And the I mean, the OG. I, I bet you're wondering where ISIS learned all about how to make exactly, bombs. Then, yeah? Exactly. You know, all, all those things that ISIS and Al Qaeda learned, like as far as all the little tricks on the technical side, yeah, they learned all that stuff. And there's some nasty stuff out there. And it was like, oh man, the Irish were OG bombers. They really were. So and they had that connection to the Middle East through Gaddafi. Yeah. That's how they oh, got yeah. the premium Semtex. Yeah. No. Yeah, but not, yeah. but it's not even just so much just like the the quality of materials, which is one part of it, but also it's just like the the, the spy trivia. versus spy, so to speak, right? Remember the old Mad Magazine comic of just like, hey, I'm gonna trick fuck you here. That's meant and designed in order to you know 
to kill the bomb tech, right? Like, okay, I'm going to put this bomb here, but you don't know about this. You don't know about that. And it was like that real cat and mouse spy versus spy. You know, the Irish were the, the, the original of that. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, but no, we're, we're, we're off the rascals. We're off the rascals. Yes, yes. And so I would say, though, that like that, that is very much like this norm that we've, well, that we, we are now innocent to. So now, especially like in a place where I live right now, I live in a very beautiful, you know, upper end area in that's outside of Los Angeles. It's like where it's a part of Southern California that everyone wishes Southern California. Really Elysium. It's Elysium. It, it's really, yeah, it's nice. I mean, I can see the ocean from, from, you know, my front door. It's nice. There's a golf course behind me, yeah, yeah. you know, so it, it's a nice place. And, you know, we've got a, it's kind of funny. It's like, we have one of those little ring doorbells, you know, at the camera. And you sign up, you have this little app, and it tells you about crime activity in your area. People report it. Like, the worst thing we've heard sure. about in the last month was, like, somebody stole my plants out of my driveway. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what? Well, there's a question I wanted to get to. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to read a quote. Well, I'll read a quote, quote later by this other Nietzschean. Uh, I hmm. think you can guess oh, well, it's Julius well, before, Ebola. Yes. But but this is a oh, – go ahead, love. Well, we'll... Before, before Ebola, we have a comment from uh, Buff, which I think talks to this uh, feeling that, let's say, a lot of people who may be living in much more comfortable surroundings, like you mentioned, Tom, that they may be reacting to the modern world where they kind of wish – they could go back to those old days, perhaps. I don't want to put words in Buff's mouth, but for example, he talked about here about Lindy wife beating. So again, like I know Gio, you know where Buff, I'm going to go. Just, listen, we're going to get derailed. That's just no, no, no. This is not derailing at all. That's no, just... but this is not derailing at all because Buff actually, I'm really thankful that he said that because uh, it goes to sorry, Gio. Every time the... this comes, no, yes, the Russian no, no, peasantry the... beat their wives. And yes, that yes terrible. they did. No, but this is very important because oh. what I want to get to here is. How do we balance these two forces where, on one hand, people see a lot of problems with modernity and they do wish an that people knew what it's like? Okay, Uber Boyo, go for it. I have an answer. Yeah, this, this answer is actually not too complicated. It's just that it requires a shift in perspective that most people very, very much struggle to make. And so the more I dug into this, the more I worked with people. It's a, very, it's a pretty, pretty big noggin scratcher to kind of ponder what you're supposed to do with this. Because, for example, you start to see things in the ancient world um, that are quite profound and speak very, very profoundly about what's going on. One problem that people often have, as soldiers often have, with going out and fighting and dying and having their brothers die in wars and stuff like that is the question of why. Why am I doing this like what's going on so first of all is the shock that's like the trauma side of things the other one is like oh did i like a common meme is like oh did i just die for an oil baron you know that type of vibe mm. and it's it's very demoralizing to feel that and it's a very serious thing because like it, like some people would think it's true and all this and it gets demoralizing and and some people then would just deal wouldn't deal with death because death is such a spiritually existential question and uh, the guys that i saw that de dealt well with it they would be either like really really strange in that they don't care um, really, really psychologically strong and that they're able to figure stuff out. And then Christians, like really strong Christians, really adamant Christians. That There was a couple that I know that I could even put you in touch with if you want that, that just were able to handle it an awful lot more. They digest it. And all of these are related to, I, I guess you could say, uh, kind of 
you could say spirits, like who you are or your ability to manipulate worldview and whatnot. And so I started looking into that more and more because obviously like religion, and this is a very Jungian idea, religion is like this, uh, it's like the net that catches you when you fall into chaos, as, as Jordan Peterson would say. I started to look back at um, ancient religions and I started to notice, like, for example, Roman paganism and um, the god Mars. Well, what is the god Mars? It's where we get the word martial from. And the god Mars was the god of war. And the god Mars was the god of fighting and aggression and murder and killing and all this. And so, again, with this idea of good conscience or bad conscience, you can imagine how a Roman would have been able to fight without guilt, if you will, would, would have been able to expand for Rome and believe in the project of what Rome is and what you're doing and all this type of but stuff. Is because he would connect his emotion, he would feel his anger, like we all feel anger, and he would understand that as a force, which he calls a god, which is Mars, and he learns to trust that. And then when he goes out and he hurts people, what's so fascinating about that is that he's giving the responsibility up to Mars as opposed to himself, and this allows him to kind of execute this. And I noticed this a little bit with the Christians, is that there's this sort of belief that God is in control, that God has a plan here, and you're executing this stuff. Obviously, don't be a monster, but you're executing um, your will, and you're doing your orders and all this type of stuff and it's being taken care of by something bigger than yourself i noticed that quite a lot now this is also tied to one other thing that which is the really important question which is um the the solution the problem here is about introducing people to you could say the reality of the world and then giving them a psychologically coherent worldview on top of that as well and the the real nature of that is actually called initiation like you need to initiate people this is something that was traditionally done to young men we don't do it anymore and the whole point of initiation is that you had a young man who grew up in a village with his mom and the priests and he was like a little soft little boy and everything he knew everything about everything because he was a little kid and no one had ever checked him and then he goes out and he like uh, gets all big headed he starts to speak back against his mom and then one day all the men notice this so they gather together they come in they grab him pull him out and beat the fuck out of him beat they traumatize him they beat the shit out of him and they force him to stand up and face trauma and overcome trauma and then attack and fight back against them and when he does that they slap on a mask and basically say you're an initiated man now they right. take him out right. into the forest and they educate him about the realities of the jungle and they teach him something very important they say all that stuff in the village that's all lies that's all coke that's all fake that's all the, the realm of women and priests where everything they say is pretty but it's not real it's it's about things that are nice it's about keeping like a house a home it's, it's got its place. Um, we're not trying to be undignified. That's the realm of the goddess. The goddess is a goddess. You know, she's exists. She's a real de deity and all this. But there's a realm out here in the jungle where there's other men and they will murder you and take your girlfriend. There's animals who don't want to die and they will kill you. There's predators. There's danger. There's nature. There's God. The God out here in the jungle is ruthless. And here's the introduction into this. And it's a worldview that you get alongside of it. First of all, you get the touch of trauma. So you actually feel what it is. You have to do the spiritual virtue of standing up to trauma. That's a, that's a psychological thing. And then you also have to get the indoctrination into the worldview and the acceptance in the, the realm of men, the special elite of men, if you will. And these four things are essential for initiating someone properly. And when you do that, you, you develop inside someone, you could say it's like a vaccine since it's topical for this year. It's like a vaccine yeah. against the absolute egregiousness of uh, the violent nature of the world. You teach people the secret truth about reality. You know, that's well, that's thing. what that's and, what and he, you, well, that's what Evola said about. Oh, sorry, love how. Um, Basically, ancient societies, the warrior is different from the soldier because the warrior has 
a sort of integrated self with the purpose of their whole civilization and self-perfection. And also these societies preached war as a method of self-perfection that was integrated into their very beliefs and their mystery cults and so forth. Whereas as time went on, Christianity was different in the sense that now sacrifice becomes that towards God as a whole and towards the perfection of the literally history itself. But but you could see this sort of jump off where now we have modern warfare. And this is what I wanted to uh, say. Uh, M asked this very good question. By the way, Uber Boyle, forgive my friend Bruce, Bruce Bogtrotter in the chat. He always does this. He's very cheeky. Um, but M says, did the ancients get PTSD to the degree that we have, or is it a consequence of dishonorable wars, the modern condition, slash, oh my God, slash spiritual retardation? So that that's a question open ended. I, I got a couple of responses to what, to what you guys are saying. Is one, yeah, I mean, you, just described, you just described like rites of passage, right? And we have that, yeah. and, and, and we have that all over. And you know, they've been kind of many of them have been compared to what you described have been very much like watered down, right? But a lot of military training comes to that, right? We have that. And usually a lot of people have like, uh, you know, culminating events like the, you know, in, in the end of Marine Corps base, you know, boot camp, we've had a thing called the crucible, just this long two and a half day event, no sleep, hardly any food. And you're just working your ass off and violence. And it is, you know, they're trying to induce a little like extreme amount of stress. I don't know if it's not, not the quite the same kind of trauma as being you know beat within an inch of your life, but it's still inducing that rite of passage and other military, you know, uh, special operations, every sort of special operations unit has something like that. Um, and every other military has that. Um, and then also, I mean, but then it gets watered down. You've got college fraternity initiations, right? Where, right. And at least in the States, they have that, right. Where it's, there's hazing and all that. And then, it, and, but a lot of times because there is no real conflict or real violence or anything, it, be, get, it gets twisted, it gets convoluted and it just gets silly and stupid, but it's still like that bonding thing that I think is really important for, especially for young men. I, I think it's especially important for them. You can see it in sports, Right. Like, why do people subject themselves to like, especially like American football, you, you know, where they subject themselves to just like, I mean, they're destroying their bodies. Right. And you see it in MMA, but it's creating that bonding. Uh, it's interesting when you mentioned how a lot of Christians, right, who are deeply religious, would have, you know, had, had an easier time with the violence. Flip the script. Look at like a lot of the enemies we've been fighting for a long time. Look at the jihadis. Right. I mean, a number of those folks, I mean, I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of them. Are true believers, right? I mean, there. I, I, I do not. I think there is a, a very, uh, a very large number of them that really believe what they're doing. Um, that, um, yeah, they really think, hey, this is in God's hands. You know, I mean, that God well, wills this. This is what we're doing. I'm an instrument of God, right? That's what they, they believe, mm -hmm. and. You know, maybe that does help them disassociate from doing things they have to do if you want to get on the psychological level. I don't know. I'm not going to psychoanalyze it, but that's one thing I'd, I'd say as well. I think that's a, that, I think that's a better um, I think it's a better example in recent times is you look at your jihadis, right? I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I'd say that their will is at least as strong as our will. Well, even I, more I think, so, I you think, can say. Oh, go I, ahead, Uber Boiler. Sorry. I, th I think that's a very prescient point, and it's really the kind of the, 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 the nitty gritty of what I'm trying to get at. Like in Napoleon, yeah. when he invaded um, Spain, this is where we get the word guerrilla warfare from. They had an awful time beating the Spanish because the Spanish just would not surrender. They just fucking they just ran to the hills and they just made 
hassle as best they could. The Irish, the reason why the Irish did well against the English is the exact same principle. Like we just fucking wanted it. We didn't have the we didn't have the 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 technology. We didn't have any of that type of stuff. But it was just grit. It was just we were willing to fucking fill bottles up with petrol and like figure out how to set off bombs and stuff like this. And it's just will. And the the ISIS dudes, they don't fucking like you know they're using RPGs from the Soviet Union area and stuff like this. But but they want it. You know they're like fucking Allah will not let this happen. You will not take our lands and all this. And it's a it's a, an intense fight, whereas the, the Americans have incredible sophistication, but it's hard. It's hard to fight someone on someone else's soil when they want it more. It's like home turf. In some against the wall for them, a lot of them. And then also, it's something interesting. So, you know, I was a history major at, at the Naval Academy. And so, um, you know, we studied a lot of warfare. You know, that was like, hey, I, I was interested in warfare, so I studied the history of warfare, right? And so one of the things that's interesting one of my professors would talk about is that you would usually find – that one of the bigger factors, and this is like one of the like less sexy examples though, I think it's true, is that it's usually, if you have, especially more in more modern times, is if you have economic stability, right? If you have economic stability, there's less violence that's gonna happen or there's less will. Cause it's like, well, what am I, you know- what, The sumo I, I, yeah, scab the between the jihadi and the American soldier, I mean- Right, but that's, right, like that, the, the American soldier's gonna go back to the fob and he can have frozen yogurt and watch a movie. Right, yeah. and then he gets to goes up, gets goes he Skype, have steaks goes Skype with beach. his girlfriend, <laughs> yeah, and you know, he's able to order stuff on Amazon and have it delivered. I mean, like, no shit. But, right? but but then the thing with the uh, jihadi is that what the jihadi is going to go back home to usually would be, let's say, a bunch of goats, uh, people living in the same way that they lived uh, back in the Middle Ages there. And for yeah. me, the question is, can we? combine those two things together where we yeah. could say that the tougher people are going to be the ones that are going to well, live let in me, more let me give crappier you a condition. This but is that's... from... Go, oh, sorry, go ahead, Uber Boy. I'm very well, sorry. Well, this is somewhat to the, the rhetorical question that I'm leading to. So, and what you begin to notice is that the, the, the people who have the will, um, all right, so violence is very hard to commit. And it's very, very difficult to overcome the problem of bad conscience, especially in the modern world. Like, if you're going to commit violence, it, your head's going to fuck with you, you know, and unless you're like, you, you've got that sort of noggin on yourself where you can just do pretty much anything. Um, so, but you notice then that these people, like you know, the Irish when they're backed into a corner, the Spanish, the the ISIS guys, like they they dogfight. They 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 they're able to find that will. They're able to commit egregious acts of war in order to save what they care about. And and you can do incredible things. It's like a a woman when her baby's underneath the car, she can lift the car up. Same with a jihadi. Like when you're sure. ta- when he feels that you're coming to take his mosque and his wife his harem, whatever it is, like he'll, he'll figure out a way to do fucking horrible things to you. And, and you know, that's his will ex- expressed in this way. Now, the real interesting question, this is a really interesting question, is how the fuck do people like Rome, how do, how do conquering movements happen? How do movements happen where they're not actually on the defensive, but they're actually projecting their will outwards? Like, how does Napoleon happen? How does that conscience and energy happen inside a person or, 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 a, or an army or something like that, where they sit down and they get initiated into their emotions and they say to themselves, I, have not, I don't have a drive to defend myself. I want to go and take. I want to go and conquer. I want to go and make something happen. And I want to go and extend my will out into the world or something like this. And how do they do that with a clean conscience? I think it's a very fascinating thing. This is sort of what I mean by Aries or Mars with the Romans. Like they were able to, like Rome was built upon the back of that energy. There was yeah. a group of people who who had a clear conscience uh, and a will that, to, to put down like all these different people. They went out and they conquered everything. And they, they no, were but, very, but, very. But how do we know the conscience was clear, though? What if the conscience was pretty gray? 
I'd say though that there's there's a huge uh, I think that's a huge part if you get really deep down to it that's a huge part of like actually frankly it's male psychology mm-hmm. right to like expand territory to hold territory to explore yeah you know I mean that's a you know that, that I think that's a natural instinct to to explore and to seize territory right I think that's just I mean you're getting right back to you know you're going way back to hindbrain thinking and I think I think that's probably where it comes from. Um, also I'd say that from the conquering aspect is that one of the reasons why like guys like Rome and Napoleon were able to conquer is that these were not ragtag, right? They're the best of there was, they're the best equipped, they're the best fed, right? So it was almost, it felt a little bit easier. And when it's you and all your friends going off doing this, right? Nobody wants to look weak. It's this yeah. bonding that's there. I think that has a lot to do with it. Uh, and, and then you, yeah, I, I think that's, also- I, that's my best guess on that one. I'd say. Well, a quick note about Napoleon, at least what I read from his biography, was that uh, he was from minor nobility, but still in the nobility. So he went to the school of a lot of you know the kids of the nobility uh, went to, and he had to sleep on a stone bed, you know, real Spartan style, yeah. even though they could afford all the luxuries they wanted to for yeah. that uh, for that uh, group of kids. They wanted to toughen them up because they knew that that would do something to them. But what's interesting to me is that you have somebody like Napoleon who instituted for that time, I think, was a very progressive system of laws, the Napoleonic Code, yet you have several hundred years later, Adolf Hitler coming in, allowing the SS men to do whatever the hell they wanted to the people they consider to be, you know, lower than animals. So my question here is, like, how do people balance out, especially today in this interconnected society, that same, let's say, uh, uh, heroism quality uh, that Napoleon had of having certain honor and at the same time having the same kind of drive but not having it go overboard? What's a matter of that drive and what you're fighting for to begin with? Like, um, for example, one of my favorite um, series of works, being an artist and also a printmaker myself, is by Goya who did the infamous um, etching series um, where he was um, sort of doing a cartography of the Spaniard peasantry fighting against Napoleon's forces in this very brutal hand-to-hand combat. Just the, 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 the agony on their face as they're going after, um, you know, a soldier. Like, for example, even right next to me, I have um, the very similar type of tinting tools that... Um, that, that Goya was using. But I wanted to read about jihad. It's funny because uh, Ding Dong mentioned in the chat, um, when is BTR going When is BTR going to embrace um, jihadi futurism? There is a great book actually by uh, our critic um, called Thurston Botsborstein. He talks about um, how Italian futurism is very similar to uh, the theories of jihad. But about the theories of jihad, this is a quote from Metaphysics of War by Julius Evola, Baron Evola, um, in the Islamic tradition, a distinction is made between two holy wars, the greater holy war, al-Jihad al-Akbar, and the lesser holy war, al-Jihad al-Ashgar. The distinction originated from saying hadith of the prophet. One on the way uh, back from a military expedition said, you have to return from a lesser holy war to a greater holy war. The greater holy war is an inner and spiritual nature. The other is the material war, waged externally against an enemy population with a particular intent to bring infidel populations under the rule of, quote, God's law, al-Islam, greater Islam. The relationship between the greater and lesser holy war, however, mirrors the relationship between the soul 
soul and the body. In order to understand the heroic asceticism or path of action, it is necessary to understand the situation in which two paths merge. The lesser holy war become means the means through which a greater holy war is carried out and vice versa. The little holy war, external holy war, is becoming almost a ritual action that expresses and gives witness to the reality of the first, the greater holy war. So war to Evola is um, a very ancient and deep way of expressing a sort of inner greatness for yourself, for your God, for your also Al-Islam, which is the greater sort of spreading of Islam throughout the, the world and converting the infidels and so forth. And also the Romans and the Greeks and the even the Chinese yeah. had very similar notions of what they're but, but, but it's ironic uh, that he was alive he was alive before the third reich right like he was yes, in italy yes, at around the time yeah. that that was going on yeah. so i would be curious like he was banging uh, he art hose in in yes. berlin yes Yes, but what I'm curious about is, like, somebody like Evola, what would he think of, let's say, what I think would be, like, the absolute animalistic way uh, people were treated in the Third Reich? Because when it came to that kind of mentality, it's no Uh, longer just a... He later... Okay, don't quote me on this, because if you read his later works, such as, you know, Ride the Tiger, but also some of his essays on fascism viewed from the right, he would say that the problem with Nazi Germany is that they were still... They were still caught in the same like post-enlightenment logic of like mass industrialization and also just the total dehumanization of the higher self through technology and through like very almost very similar to what Heidegger would say about um well he never like really denounced being a Nazi, but uh he it was very similar in the sense that there's something about the modern perception of battle and technology that goes with it and the mechanization of all life that spiritually degrades the higher aims of what the purpose of war was to begin with. So I think Evola would say that, you know, the, the sort of mass um, industrial slaughter of the Nazis, that's almost like defeating the point totally to what a more nobler ancient warrior caste idea would be i mean of course you know that he was but can we even go back to that so terror fascist so that's i mean i mean that that's what really goes uh in it for me like can we even go back to that kind of idea which is why tom in our uh, message exchange i was asking you about the state of honor today and how many people uh, retain it so i'm curious like if you had a uh if if you were talking about it with the people you visited or in general like what your thoughts are on the state of honor today yeah i would say um it's it's in when you brought that up like a lot of the guys that we deal with and treat we a, a lot of them are kind of the end of the rope you know they're at that point where they've lost their family they're broke um you know they're many of them are near death Right. I mean, truly near death. I mean, you, you know, drinking yourself to death is a very real thing. Uh, it happened to one of our, our prior uh, patients who had to leave. Cause I mean, it was by the time he came to us, he was like too far gone. He went to the emergency room a few weeks later. I mean, he died sepsis, just total organ failure. I mean, it's just a real thing. Um, but I would say though that, um, so I didn't really, we didn't, we didn't really get out. Cause a lot of these guys are kind of like, Hey, I'm just trying to get my mind right a little bit and just try to get a yeah. little bit healthy before I made Cause you know, when you get to those talks of like honor and all that, that's more of these higher ideals. A lot of these guys are just trying to like get a basic foundation so I can just be a functioning human being before we get to that stuff. But it still comes into play. I'd say that definitely within the military, I hate to say it, but I feel like there's a lot of lip service there today. Uh, I, I think that's that that happens. Um, oh, what, what do you mean by lip service? Uh, you know, so 
we had an honor, you know, for at the Naval Camp, we have an honor concept, you know, you don't lie, cheat or steal. Right. And obviously those are things that we don't like. That's really bad behavior, obviously. But also when you talk about honor, like, are we talking about integrity? Like just telling the truth, not cheating, not stealing. Okay, sure. Those are obviously worthy uh, behaviors. Right. We also have a like higher honor, like martial honor. Right. Like it's like honor on a battlefield. Right. Uh, you know, treating civilians uh, and non-combatants fairly and, and compassionately, right? Like that's, that's a big one as well. And I'd say that's definitely happening because I would say that one of the better traits about most Western militaries these days, all Western militaries these days is that we don't, well, I'm not saying we never, but we, when we commit war crimes, it's dealt with, it's really dealt with. And whereas in other you know, other parts of the world, uh, it is still um, covered up or uh, condoned at the very least, sometimes encouraged, even today, right? But I would push so that. I say that's one of the things that maybe that, you know, when we talk about the military getting a little bit softer, right? Yeah. Well, that's not, it's not all bad, you know? I mean, there's, <laughs> there's, some, you know, there's some good aspects to it as well. But I mean, trust yeah. me, I know like, you know, the military, U.S. military wants to, wants to drop the hammer, we'll drop the fucking hammer. I mean, right, like as an example, and I, I don't want to get into it too much because I know it opens up a can of worms. A real quickly, Geo, I would love for you to take a look at that link later on I sent you about the Israeli army, how they do th this thing called roof knocking, which, uh, Tom, are you familiar no, with I'm that? very familiar with that. That's, uh, in, in my mind, like, that's almost, it's, I, I mean, that's like really compassionate. And, and look, say what you want about the... Is can you say a little bit about what, what it is just for the yeah, so yeah, we've knocked very quickly so usually whenever they're about to hit a target they'll announce it right they'll do a couple of things like hey this building at this street at this address we're about to drop a bomb on it because it's a hamas hideout there's a cache there this, there's stuff going on a lot of times they'll announce it or a lot of times they'll drop when they'll hit on the roof or of a building a small explosive charge that's enough to say like that enough to get everyone's attention say hey everyone get the hell out and you do that, and they'll, and, and, you know, hopefully most of those folks will get out of there before they actually drop bomb and level. And so I see in the picture right there, we got an example of that. It's interesting, though, that there are other uh, organizations that deal with that. So uh, kind of a tie back in, I, I didn't know about this when I was in Nepal, you know, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, I remember, you know, they, they actually had a, um, the Nepalese army fought a Maoist insurgency, right? And a lot of these yeah, Maoists. Yeah, Path, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Shining Path, yeah. And what's interesting is they would have they would have bombings, right? As well, they'd set up bombs in shopping, you know, small shopping centers and markets. But they phone it in first, you know. And they say, "Hey, everyone, get out of here! There's a bomb here." Um, and then I know if we're going to talk about the Irish, I know that the IRA would do that a lot too. They would they'd <laughs> announce it sometimes they were very polite. As, a, polite. as a lure, right? As as a lure, they would want to get real nasty about it. So, yeah. The, the but you say what you want about the about Israeli policy. People can argue about that, you know, all the time. But I, well, they I have committed say, war crimes in other areas. But yeah, they have. I, I I'm not gonna. I, you know, that's a whole other topic. But I, I said yeah. there's a lot of ways that they show tremendous restraint. And if you look at it just from a tactical, you know, when they talk about the Golan Heights and all this stuff, and like how come they're taking this territory is because the territory that they're being reduced to, like it or not, agree with it or not, is indefensible, right? Like they actually need territory. They need high ground, right? And so they know that, like, hey, by giving up certain land, they're being surrounded right and, and plus, plus they're not doing anything to the eastern palestinians like fatah when yeah. was the last time you've seen israel going after fatah no right. none at all they right. have nothing to do with them well yeah. that's uh, 
there's some glow in the dark activity going on there, love. But uh, what I wanted to say about uh, <laughs> yeah, that that that's the excuse. Um, okay. Well, this is like, can I can I say, right, this is a controversial opinion. Everyone in Ireland is pro-Palestinian. Everyone, yeah, I don't know anything true. about this stuff. I'm completely out of this. I'm not involved. Well, I don't care at all. A lot of the IRA people, they were trained with the Palestinians in Lebanon. And lo- was, most of the people in Ulster yeah. are super pro-Israeli. Now, I'm actually going to literally get kicked out of this country for saying this. But <laughs> you could look oh, at it, 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 Israel and the project of Israel. Like I, I, like, I find it so fascinating. It's actually fully tied to what I'm talking about here about clear conscience and about clear conscience about what you're doing and understanding what you're doing there's a there, it seems like there's a bad conscience yeah that's something to be admired, if you were to actually yeah. co- like say on some level you could turn around and be like that's an invasion of a colonial empire creating a new nation and that's the the jews exerting a will to power to re-establish a homeland that they never they had not had for two thousand years and in some level like you know fair play to them like will to power they, they like and they don't care it. if they no. have to glass the enemy and they in the international community hates them which i, I know mean, i know and that's, oh, that's okay well, whenever uh, but whenever you say that i also want Whenever you say that, though, I always want to ask where exactly did you get that specific thing, and if you could send me a link so I could take a look at it, and I would be well, very no, but willing, I, but like... think of it, Lev. I mean, it's true when you think about when you think about right. how the Israeli government is an ethno state. They've exerted their will. They don't care what the, the a multi ethno state, a multi ethno in the international community. So, as someone. You know, that's the Do thing. Do you that's... care about the hoi polloi's of the international community? No, I don't. This is the only issue, know, the only issue <laughs> that you would agree with Elon Omar and the international community. No, but the, the problem is, one. Lev, the problem is that this is the catch-22 for everyone on the far right, is that do you admire an ethno-state <laughs> that exerts their will brutally, or do what? you or do you hate the you-know-whos, right? That's like the big catch-22. But again, I don't want to talk about word, Israel you're again. Using, you're using I, Let's not talk about here. it. Okay, no more. I, but but I, I'd say this, though, is you can say the same thing. So uh, it's interesting, like, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend I know a ton about it, but I took a, a history elective at school about Ireland and the Irish, right? And it was interesting. It was fascinating, right? But one of the interesting things that you'd see throughout their history, you know, the, the Irish and the Arabs, Arab people, have a lot in common, right? I mean, they really just, in terms of the fact that they just got shat on by the British for hundreds of years, Right. You know, I mean, that's 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 a big one. Um, and just uh, a lot of the ways that their struggles been and to be able to have their own country. Right. I mean, uh, and, yeah, well, where that's gone. yeah. To, to, even, to even relate this back to Ireland, because I, I love Ireland and I'm super intimate with Ireland. And, and obviously I'm, I'm, I'm in the privilege that I can say some of the stuff I'm going to say. This is me just sort of breaking rapport. These sure. are just ideas. This is not like super firm stuff. But uh, the Irish suffer from a massive um, resentment and slave complex. Yes. Like we really... We really struggle with the yeah, idea that, true. like, the big, the big bad Brits, you know, and Even and we more have than this. Scottish, yeah. We we have this awful, awful um, chip on the shoulder problem. So, for yeah. example, with Brexit, for example, you could look, you could on some level look at Brexit as the British sort of saying to themselves, "We want to define our own destiny." And I see, and I talk to English people, and and English people will apologize to me. They say sorry about what we did to you, and I'm like, you didn't fucking do anything to me, you fucking idiot. Like, what do you want about? Like, you're you're a fucking Brit. I'm slagging you. I'm saying, oh, the IRA. Like, I'm joking with you i'm not actually right. like angry you know yeah. this type of stuff but obviously the climate is like super super like victim charge and all this type of stuff and i don't like being a victim i don't want to identify as someone who's a victim i don't want to identify as a loser like i want ad- to identify as- thank you <laughs> i want to i want to identify as someone who's is creative and but i hate I'm pushing to say forward. It, uber boy i hate to say it like it, i know we're diverting from the topic because i wanted to talk about how um 
like in for example like how it's almost impossible to avoid civilians now because of asymmetrical warfare but i would say that the problem with ireland now is that they've sort of um because they were late to the party of like like terminal radical liberalism they're sort of like like sloughing off their past and their identity at lightning speed and it's like you know now i'm gonna be the cool kids i'm gonna disrespect the catholic church i'm gonna have uh all of the uh like you know you could get into it the past four years or so with the the irish irish politics it's quite it's quite sad in a way i guess because you know you were well, this viewed is, it's, as like it's not, repressed it's, it's, for so long it's, so. it's not it's not sad because it's if you create an identity of um oppression your your yeah. your des- it's destined to eventually break down the Jews yeah, even true. struggle with that. And this is why Israel is so interesting is because it's actually the opposite of yeah. oppression. You know, yeah. um, the Americans like think about this. The Americans, when they initially settled America, that was pure, ruthless. We are going to take this land and make it our own and settle it and col- colonize it and manifest fucking destiny. And it's right. aggressive. It's mm. creative. It's ignorant of like the feelings of the people who fucking no, live but, there. Like a but, lot but of problems. But, but the second, the, but the oh, second yeah. they develop a conscience about it, the second they become aware that it's bad and it's hurting people, suddenly the whole project now looks like it's on this fucking. The, it's like the table shaking, you know, all this type of stuff. Now I'm not here to After comment. They and say, I know what's of that conquest, right? Yes. It's like, oh, now I can feel guilty about. It. I got all this great stuff, and everything's great. Yeah. Oh, I feel really bad about it, you know. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a very, it's a very complex, complex issue. We're not trying to say it's black and white, like oh, hurting people good or something like that. But we do have to be aware that there's, there's realities here. And this is, this is tying back to this thing I'm trying to talk about with war, because I noticed, like, I, I think if you sat down with a colonial settler who killed some Indians, you know, on his, on the back of his, his, his horse, sure. I don't think he'd be suffering yeah. from PTS fucking D. I think he'd be doing all yeah. right because but he believed in what he was doing. Those Indians were not, they weren't dancing and singing kumbaya. No. Before he no. he came there, that's the other percent. I I'd agree with that one as well because I think the other side of the you know coin. Obviously, yeah, did uh, the North American settlers do some awful things? Sure, but they got it back just as bad too. And now, granted, they were overpowered, but I mean, you but, ever read some notice, of the stories about like the Comanches, for yeah, instance? Yeah, stuff that'll make your skin crawl. Stuff that like makes ISIS look like a bunch yeah, of pussy. The, uh... I mean, really? What, what, what was that called? The uh, taking of the tops of the... Yes, scalping. Oh, that's yeah, scalping. Oh, they slow cook you alive. Yeah. They slow cook children yeah. alive. There oh, we yeah. go. Oh, but they, they notice how the most abuse has happened, though, when it comes to that, um, the North American indigenous people. And recently in Canada, we've had another mass grave discovery oh, yeah. that was over a period... Of, but, but here's the thing, though. When they bury this in the article, not to say I support the residential schools. I think we should just let them alone. Um the worst abuses came about when there was a settled sort of closing of the frontier. And now the managerial state came and put their claws in. Whereas the beginning when it was the very much stereotype of, you know, cowboys versus Indians, that's when you had this back and forth, you had this sort of respect among each other as well. And the British and the French that came to, uh, north america as well they had this sort of tacit respect and the more so the french because the, you know that's the only way they could survive the winter when they were doing the fur trade but the thing with the residential schools most of those children died because of disease neglect there was cases of abuse there was cases of disappearance disappearances there were abusive uh, school people that were uh, committing sexual acts of sadism but most of it came from neglect because you had sort of an uprooting of the native children of the yep. indigenous children. And so it was an institutionalized program, but I, I was 
I tweeted about this today in a very interesting comment from mutual of mine, Dan, Dan Wright. He said, when you really think of it, the residential schools, that was like the liberalism of their day because they wanted to extend this like white man's burden. I'm going to civilize these savages. I'm going to give them a quote unquote better life and dis and totally destroy them from their cultural context. So the, the actual, you know, more trad based Lindy option was if we were to just leave them alone and respect each other as um, noble warrior uh, cultures. But that's like, I know that's a diversion, but yeah, but it's really interesting how when power gets sort of um, enumerated, that's when the abuse happens. Not in the beginning, not when you had warrior culture against warrior culture. It's when you have the state mm -hmm. sort of come in and sort of power becomes totally codified. That's when you have the horrors well, and the to, mass graves. To, uh, to, to add to that, uh, there was in the Vietnam War, what's his name, uh, McNamara, the guy with all the charts and stats. Yeah, uh, What I wanted yeah. to get to, uh, Tom, the did, you have a chance, yeah, did you have a chance to see that video that I sent you with um, uh, about governance? With, yes, uh, I, watched, I, I, uh, I watched the whole thing. Watch the whole thing, so, and so yeah, I'm yeah. curious. Like, what well, what do you make and, and of um, guy, uh, yeah? Uh, uh, what was his last name again? Mark Mark, Mark uh, Terrell. Terrell, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting how he had this kind of detached, right? Like he was just like, eh, I had this problem. I gave some people some ideas and went and did it, and who knows what happened afterwards, you know? And it was oh, bro, bro. I mean, I, I, that's kind of the gist I got of it. Maybe I, I don't mean to sound reductionist about it, but I mean it's kind of what it felt yeah. like. Was I mean, he 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 was talking about in certain respects uh, that uh, he tried to minimize, uh, you know, the loss of life and things like that. But what concerns me though was that the fact that he even saw this as a challenge. You know, it sort of reminded me of that whole grand chessboard idea of world <laughs> politics, where sure, like we have to keep certain things in mind, but I really want to be careful that the people who are actually making these decisions are not just going to see it like as a challenge because there's something a little bit off about thing that. that happens today but maybe not on a level of violence but i mean you look at the business world look at like a lot of the way that capitalism works silicon valley you know right right a lot of that or just like a lot of big private equity big banks you know like overall i think it's a tremendous net positive are there bad aspects of it of course right like hey we're gonna invest in this company hey we're not gonna uh, hey you know we, we gotta move you know, we're going to move the plant from here to Mexico or we're going to do this. And yeah, hey, you know, hey, uh, you know, 20,000 people lost their jobs. Yeah, that sucks. But hey, got to increase shareholder value. Right. And, and like that, it's the yeah. same. It, it's very similar, but you might not be destroying people's lives, but you are destroying people's livelihoods. Right. And, and then they hey, do destroy their lives. Let's be real. Well, yeah, OK, you're right. And now yeah, we have a crisis. And then, you know, then they come see me eventually. And, you know, well, it's uh, not rough, but yeah. I, mean, it's I, just I, wanted, I wanted to go back to Uber Boyle about trauma, but let me ask you, Tom, Yeah. out of your experience with veterans, what is the number one issue that prevents them from having a sort of stability or um, what, what, what's the, uh, the psychoanalytic term that Artie Lang used existential security within themselves? What is the number one issue? Is it just the guilt of war or is it not being fulfilled? Like what is the number one thing you hear time and again, among all of the soldiers that you helped in their lives with addiction, with trauma? Okay. Uh, it's an interesting question because the answer is like, it's, it's, kinda, it's an impossible it, answer. It depends. But here, here's the thing is there are a lot of folks out again, this is like veterans. When we say veterans. They're not a monolith, right? 
We've got folks who are on the super high performing combat guys, infantry, special operator, you have treated rangers, seals, attack helicopter pilots, like all these guys, right? And EOD guys like me, right? I've also treated with a fellow EOD tech. And I've also treated folks who, you know, one guy was in the army for, did a two year enlistment and drove a truck, right? In night from 1977 to 1979, never deployed overseas. Right. And then he got out of the army. He has the, he still has his VA benefits. He served honorably and all that, but he just kind of went through afterwards when he got out as a young man, he just kind of fell apart and just kind of became a derelict, not necessarily due to any sort of PTSD or anything like that. I mean, sometimes people just have a rough go, right. I mean, just like anyone else. So there's a big difference there between, you know, folks who like there with when they got to me, so to speak, right. Did it happen as a result of their service or had they never been in the service would it have been the same? There's a good chance for a lot of the guys that we have that they still would be in this. They would have ended up in the same boat because people are people, right? And so not everyone has this really extreme experience. A lot of folks are just normal folks. Hey, I did a job for a little while. What didn't get too hairy? I drove a truck or I turned a wrench. I shuffled paper, right? And they did something like that. And hey, I mean, good on them. Hey, they did their bit. You know, thank you for your service. That's great. Um, and then they ended up where they are in life. And had they not done that, had they just gotten a job out in the normal world, would they still have fallen into the same traps? Good chance they probably would have. Um, I would say though that, but that said, of the folks who had like real significant experience, right, where whether it was overseas or just they spent a lot of time in the military, I would say that, and even for me personally, like the hardest part for me, and this is again, I, I was fairly coddled, right? I went to uh, like we said, like talked about like a, a school for nobility, like you mentioned earlier, Lev, I, I went to one of those schools, right? I came from very lower middle class, you know, dad died, died of a drug overdose, lost all the money, mom cleaned toilets for a living, struggled to kind of make ends meet. But hey, I never went hungry. The lights always stayed on. I was okay, right? I've never subjected any terrible violence, but you know, I was okay. But I went to school with a lot of folks with the sons and daughters of, you know, last names that you would recognize, right? Put it that mm, way. Yeah. yeah, I won't name names. We talk about it later. But, you know, and, and a lot of these guys I know, I still keep in touch with them. And most of them still do great. And But they got martialized. They they went through the, they did the tough stuff. And they're, and they're, you know, winners win. You know, winners produce winners who continue to do good things, right? But I'd say that the guys who had that real significant experience and, and like people like me, I was very institutionalized, right? You have this mm. anchor, this rock, right? It's kind of like we're all on the dole. Right. No, no matter whether I did, whether I did a great job or whether I did a terrible job, guess what? The same amount of money showed up in my bank account every two weeks. Right. The same amount. Of, and then I get progressive a little bit better, a little bit better. And then, Hey, maybe if I did a really good job, I get a cool assignment or I get picked for a nice job. Oh, hey, that's cool. But at the same time, I knew that like, if I got hurt, I'd be taken care of free healthcare. Right. I get, you know, I got free and now I'm the VA, you know, I'm a VA patient. And I, you know, I've, free shitty healthcare. Right. And I have that. And so um, I would say also that you just kind of have this anchor, right. You have the support structure, this family around you, you have a lot of rules, right. You got to be here. You got to be there. You can't leave. Can't do this. Can't do that. But you're still very institutionalized. And that, and I think a lot of folks, when they get out, they kind of feel like, Oh, I'm a little lost now. Like, where do I go? Wait, I mean, Oh, I have to pay these bills. And wait a second, I have to like figure out my health insurance and like, I have to get a job and wait, if I do a bad job, they'll just fire me. You know, they can do that. You know, it's like the joke about that. We joke around about when I got in the private sector. Hey, like my buddies are still in. Hey guys, did you know that like in the private sector, if they don't like you and you suck at your job, they can just fire you. 
you know, because in the military, you can't get fired. I mean, you can literally commit a <laughs> felony and you're not going to get kicked out for months. Well, what about court martialing? Yeah, that happens. But I mean, but, but when you hear about these court martials, that's for somebody who commits like a crime, like a yeah, serious like crime. actual. Yeah. Like something that would land you in prison in the real world, right? Or dereliction of duty. Right, but you if you if you like fuck up, you know, you don't show up, you do this, don't do that, like yeah, you can get shown the door, but that'll take months for it. I mean, for the administrative process. It doesn't happen over over in a week. So, but anyways, it's like I think you have this anchor to you and you have this foundation laid to you. And um I, I gotta say, even now, I and this is like I'm I'm fortunate enough to be on the like on the more fortunate end of the spectrum and as far as like performing and, and whatnot is because they put me through undergraduate. I, I got two master's degrees. I'm very happy. I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I'm very grateful. But for a lot of these guys where it's like when I had to start my own company, my own business, where, you know, I know some really brave, courageous guys who will like literally kick a door open and get into a gunfight in a closed room, right, with, a bad, with, with some really bad guys. And they'll do that. And they have tremendous bravery and like what we look at as courage. But if I tell them, hey, what would you do if you had to start a business? And you're just like, and if it doesn't work out, you go bankrupt. Right. Where to them, they're like, well, shit, dude, I got a mortgage, a wife and two kids. I'm like, no way, no way. Right. Because in a lot of these guys, after they leave the military, they go right from the military to like becoming a federal employee, defense contractor. Yeah, I did that. I mean, my first six months, I worked for a defense contractor. Right. I did. Mm-hmm. I did that. Or uh, they get a federal job as a GS. I know a lot of guys who are in the intelligence community or federal or law enforcement. It's all those sorts of things, right? Where they kind of it's, they kind of went from one steady foundation to another. Not many go into full entrepreneurship. And so to, to bring that back to the guys like the veterans is that we deal with, a lot of the guys have a significant experience. They just lose that stable thing to hold on to, that wall they can brace themselves against. And there's so much uncertainty that the average American is totally used to, right? <laughs> Where it's like, if I lose my job, right? Like, hey, I got to like do, you know, I, I, you know, I got to show up to work on time. Don't piss off the boss, right? Like, you got to produce, right? Or I could lose my job, and then but, what? How am I going to pay the rent? But but, but here, but here's kind of like the ironic thing that I think a lot of Americans, at least I definitely know a lot of New Yorkers, are in such a state of Frank Hassel tier fear right now that they would say the wrong thing that they would write the wrong tweet and this created a culture i mean you know this is no surprise to anybody it's no surprise to you uber boyo that the state of a lot of people today is one of just being frantically nervous about making sure that they don't upset the sacred cows and so my question here is is there any way that we can take and i'm gonna go to uber boyo and then to tom is there any way that we could take this uh, spirit of uh honor and kind of imbue it injected into a lot of these normies who right now they just seem to be going with whatever propaganda they're given and they're scared to death of saying anything otherwise so yeah. much so that only I think they acknowledge it. i think like it's in the subconscious that something is wrong and they're never going to admit it yeah i i can tie all this together to what we were talking about um, uh, briefly but uh I'll get to that in a second. So you're asking the question about honor. I just want to keep it in because you're basically asking the question about higher values as opposed to, you know, uh, fear-based behavior. And that's a really important distinction to make. Um, But uh, Tom, the stuff you're bringing up there is actually quite fascinating because it is something, I guess, uh, because you'd hear about PTSD and soldiers and all this stuff. And you might actually make the mistake. And this is often a problem I I notice in working in the the realm of psychology, if you will. And you can try to over-romanticize something. Like dealing with someone with psychosis is an awful lot more fun than dealing with someone who's depressed simply because they don't have a job like it's not it's not any more romantic than that and that's 
that's actually the thing that really changes most people's lives. Like I, I noticed that myself that after a while I found myself like I didn't really like the therapy thing. I, I moved on to something more, you could say, pragmatic because and fundamentally, that's actually what most people's problems are. And the, the people who need real work on like really intense problems, like you say, schizophrenia or psychosis or something, it's like, I'm not going to be able to help them. That's just beyond my pay grade and this type of stuff. But most people are, are struggling really, really basically with being able to deal with the chaos of the modern world, the isolation of the modern world, the alienation of the modern world, the kind of questions about, um, and, and it comes back to that sort of existential stuff. Who am I? Where do I fit in? What am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to relate to this society? How do I get a G fucking F? Like, how do I sort all that type of stuff yeah, out? Yeah, how do I get a that feel that? No G. <laughs> right, or, or at least a shed wife. Or at least a shed fuck, wife. Fuck all this, oh, lads. Let's change the topic. How the GF question? How does how do we sort this out? But that is that is a that's a pretty big deal. Like it's 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 a. Uh, it's 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 this stuff weighs heavy on, on people like how do i deal with social anxiety how do i how do i present myself who am i how do i present my identity how do i create wealth how do i stay organized how do i stay fit how do i overcome addictions how do i stop myself drinking these very very basic things and that they and, and i think this is where carol young and um, his thesis and the sort of general thesis of the likes of james joyce carol young these guys is that um, Campbell, other yeah the, the the interesting thing about war is the heroism of going out and fucking you know killing a thousand people and being like a cod player or something like this but really the the unromantic um war that uh, a young man who's after leaving the stability of the military has to make when he he you know spends a year getting his routine the same every single day and having that little bit of a conquest you know having that hero's journey himself where he actually like changes his boring day-to-day down-to-earth simple life where he's like trying to just you know drink more water in the morning and mm. you know not have a, a drink in the evening and stuff like this and maybe work out in the middle of the day and and, yeah. and put a type of plan and all these type of things like this this type of stuff is really i think the stuff that that really really changes and saves people and um, in this type of regard so if you're looking to it, it, it bring out the potential in someone who's who's really um lathered onto that i think absolutely i assume then you must be doing a lot of stuff down this direction which is great which uh, obviously makes sense why you're helping so many people yeah, I, I had to impose it. So for myself, at least, I know that I had to because all of a sudden when I'm out there in the real world where it's like, okay, first of all, I need to make sure I have to have a way to like pay the rent, right? And also, yep. I like, but I had to like impose discipline on myself, right? Where I go to the gym, I've got, I even scheduled for a trainer, even though it costs more, I still do it anyways. I don't really need him, but like I go see, I have a strength coach and I'm there every morning, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m., right? 5 a.m., I'm there, right? Sometimes a few minutes late, he yells at me, whatever, but I don't care. But it's like I have to impose that structure on myself and I show up, you know, and, you know, I'm usually in bed pretty early and whatnot. And it was weird because when I you get out of the real world, the real world, right, where it, it comes down to like, oh, this is how we behave. Like, oh, wait, we don't just uh, get blacked out drunk on every Friday or Saturday night. That's not what we all do. No, you, you know, because that's what I was in, especially when you're overseas, you travel party and then, you know, you, you're told where to be, what to do. And yeah. it really is a big, that was a, that, a big adjustment where it's like, okay, I have to be a normal person now. And that was pretty, you know, and that was for a lot of folks have a much harder time with that, where maybe they might not have been a very like high performing individual when they first came in, didn't have structure, didn't have discipline. Then they have structure and discipline imposed upon them. And then when they, and they do okay, but then when they leave that, they're not able to self-soothe so they're not able to do it themselves and i think that's one of the reasons where there's that just that lack of structure lack of you know of a foundation is just that's really big well, you know, so what about the officer class what about the uh so I, I was just a guy and i was an officer right so i've been on both sides of it and so 
Uh, I'd say it depends. Usually your officers, because they have a college degree, I'd say on average do a little bit better just because they had a little bit more structure. Maybe they had a better background from where they came from. Usually, not always. And I'd say, and that was on the enlisted side, there's some phenomenal high performing guys, like amazing. Um, but I, I'd say that on average, yeah, you'd see the officers that would usually, uh, usually do better. Cause it's easier for them to get a, a better job because, you know, between officer enlisted, very roughly speaking to, to those watching who are not familiar, it's kind of blue collar versus white collar, roughly. Right. Yeah. That's a one way to put it. And the biggest, and the biggest determining factor for generally speaking is that officers have a bachelor's degree. That's about it. Right. And so, and they've been through some officer training. There are some officers who don't have degrees. There are some enlisted guys that do have degrees, but generally speaking, that's the big delineating factor. I would say that yes, officers generally uh, are able to do better because they have a little bit more structure. They usually made might've come from a place where there's some more self-discipline usually when they had that. Structure. Wait, yes. what's uh, was Pete Buttigieg? Was he an officer? He was, he was. So I remember I saw a tweet well, he like, was, with him on the yeah. cell phone and uh, in the Navy shipyards, I believe. Or Brooklyn Shipyard. No, no, he was in the Navy Yard. It was just a couple days oh, ago. Navy right? Yard. Oh, that yeah, was my yeah, block. Yeah. That was my bagel shop that I went to when I lived in the Navy Yard <laughs> in D.C. I was like, I even, you know, to Natalie. I go, hey, Natalie, you look at the picture of Pete Buttigieg at Bethesda Bagels, like right around the corner, you know, like from our, our old place in D.C. And, um, yeah, I thought it was because right across the street is the Department of Transportation, which is where he's mm. now, you know. Yeah. And what's really funny, though, is I think it was, who put out that? I think it was, like, Comfortably Smug that tweeted out there where he said like, Hey, this is your typical guy in DC, like Navy yard, <laughs> like short, obsessed with their phone and they're, and they're oh, meeting this government God. job. And I'm like, Holy uh, shit. That's right. It was every, yeah. It was now, like now, everybody Gio, in my building that's around. I mean, except it, for me, of course. In respect, by the way, in respect though, one of our frequent guests, believe it or not, Tom, one of our very frequent guests, and she's going to be uh, um, on Thursday, this Thursday, once again, Jessica Deloach, who was a political strategist for Pete Buttigieg, and she's going to be joining us on a reverse debate. This is the plug for it right here, nice. along with with uh, with Gavin Wax. I don't know if you know Gavin or not. No, uh, name rings a bell. Uh, I'll probably do a little, you know, I'll check him out. Yeah, he was, uh, I think he's still the head of the New York Young Republicans. Republicans. Okay. Okay, yeah. cool. So, so e either way, I am just curious, like, when it comes to people who are, let's say, more in the management position, kind of like we were talking before about Mark Terrell, and I want to make sure I go back to the honor question for Uber, Bo Uber Boyo, but real quick, since my mind is on here right now, like, do you think it's always been the case that there has been, like, this white collar you know more oriented with the grand chessboard type of thing or do you think that maybe in previous epochs there was more of an emphasis among the higher ranks that there had to be like this mold that you had to get into and it was much more difficult to stray away from that to warrior mold as opposed to now uh you know it's interesting so i'd say that generally speaking like the officer class in the united i'm speaking the united states military is more egalitarian than it was before, right? I, I would say, generally speaking, uh, mm -hmm. it, it was. Um, it was. It's much, much, much less aristocratic than it was. I mean, even 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? Very much so. Um, well, they're purging people now, aren't they? Of politically incorrect thoughts. You know, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, like, I, I don't. The only time I've heard of it is when I see it online. If somebody talks about it, and they said they mm -hmm. this. I, I don't really know. Um, it makes a really good clickbait, makes for a good story. Um, but most people know in the military that it's like, we would, 
you know, I, I wouldn't be too political online now. Like now, if I was if I was active duty now, I'd kind of watch it. Maybe I'd have a an anon account. Maybe I know a lot of folks who do have anon accounts who are out there. Mm. So, um, but maybe, but you know, usually being super politically active while you're on active duty, it's just kind of typically frowned upon. I, mm. you know, I just be kind of be careful. Even though we certainly have our opinions, and when you're in a closed door, we'd argue. But we're not. You know, when you're saying it as like when you're speaking or showing an opinion from the position of someone who's in the military, that's just bad form. And even though that might not necessarily be against the law or ethics or federal regulations, it's just considered bad news, you know? So I'd say that's, um, yeah, that it just kind of something to just kind of avoid. Um, But I would say though that, yeah, I'd say the officer ranks are much more egalitarian than they once were. Well, I guess the bigger question for me, the concerning one, would have to do with creeping authoritarianism. As somebody who came from the USSR with his family, my family, we came over here to the United States, and we were really grateful for the United States, the fact that it exists. But like that uh, Yuri Bismenov uh, interview went, you know, this is the last one. Like, if you guys screw up here, the only place left is going to be Antarctica with the penguins, as far as having a bastion of uh, liberty. And it's something that I don't want to take for granted, but at the same time, my biggest concern is that while I'm really happy with what you said, that let's say uh, the uh, military is being more careful with you know making sure there isn't going to be more collateral damage and things of that nature. At the same time, my concern, my concern. is that there's going to be a bit of weakness when it comes to maybe kowtowing to certain sacred cows. If somebody walks in the room and they have a bunch of bright ideas and they happen to be, I don't know, a person of color or they happen to be this sexual orientation and it would be considered faux pas to say anything against them because that's kind of a shield and i'm not saying that that is the case but theoretically in the future if that were to be the case my concern is that stuff like that would uh, inevitably start leading us into more of a totalitarian state and i think i'm kind of seeing echoes of that right now in the private sector so i'm curious what you think about that and i'm gonna go to uber boyo Okay, so for me first, yeah, I, I would say yeah. that when you talk about like the totalitarianism is is what's interesting though is that now people are living in fear, they're worried about saying the wrong thing. Here's what makes it really interesting, really pernicious and insidious and scary is you have a lot of people here today, I think in the States that are not so much worried about having like, uh, you know, the FBI or somebody knocking on their door per se. It's like not like having the KGB or somebody coming after you or the Ministry of Truth coming after you for wrong speak, right? Instead, they're worried about losing their Facebook account, you know, losing, you know, um, not being able to buy things on Amazon, losing their job, right? So what's really interesting, and that's what makes it really scary because it's not some from one centralized location, right? It's, it's corporate America. Like, I want to be able to do business. Like, you know, we, uh, I'm sure, you know, we know a couple of people, know a few people that have like been un- unable to bank, right? Yeah. Not able to get an account. I think it's Chase. I think they like, you know, dropped some folks' accounts. Now, granted, you might say what you want about those folks, right? Maybe, you know, maybe they're just assholes, but guess what? Like, okay, maybe because you're an asshole doesn't mean that you shouldn't have a bank account, right? And the, and and so it's really hard when it's set from a cultural standpoint, like a corporate culture or wherever, where it's like, I'm really worried about saying the wrong thing, right? Where, but, and it's not, I'm worried about the government coming after me. I'm worried about all the other services I need, you know, to like live in the 21st century being denied. Right. Like somebody will turn off your, you know, people start turn off your Amazon account. Now, granted, I mean, can I still survive without Amazon? Yes. My fiance might disagree. Right. Yeah. She might disagree about that. But, you know, you see what I'm saying? I think that's what makes yeah. it inferior. It's that corporate culture. Um, yeah, that's something that I do worry about. And I think that actually makes it in many ways more dangerous 
than just having some like top down, you know, authoritarian, totalitarian government coming after you. Yeah. Now the totalitarian and authoritarians are big tech, big banks, right? Those are the ones that are actually scared. And there's that, you know, we talk about, you know, corporate cronyism and all that stuff is that that meshing of those two organizations is pretty scary, I think. So I'm more worried about big business than I am worried about big government. Uh, that plays that plays really well into the honor question um because if you if you want to think about um the question of honors like what is honor so basically you're suggesting that people act like they've listened to jordan peterson and stand up and say i will not say the 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 the, the wrong words like you want people to do that you want people to develop a, a psychological immune system against against like bullshit basically you don't want them to come in and say comrade equality marxist utopia or whatever you think it is um or maybe it's like the kind of new thing now where you're like you want people to be immune to that you want people to stand up and what you're basically asking them it's in a very very straightforward think about their emotions sit in their nervous system and think about this they're sitting in work and they have everything to lose they can lose their job they can lose their friend circle they can get socially shamed and there's all this fear inside their nervous system related to that and someone turns around and says, what's your stance on, quote unquote, issue of very high contentious uh, charge? You know, what's your, uh, your, your stance on black squares, something like this. Sure. And, and they get fear. They feel fear. They feel a lot of fear. And you're asking a human being to overcome fear. That's, that's what you're asking them to do. You're saying, I want you to overcome that fear. And I want you to stand up and say no uh, and, and, and fight against that. And, and, and what do you... And what? Boom. Number one, what? And the second one is like, what? They they have to be willing to lose everything for the what as well. They really have to be able to lose everything for the what. Modern people don't have that because no one who is telling them to stand up to this stuff is giving them something to fight for. There's right. nothing to fight for. Yeah, it's exactly. only defense. There's no. It's only reaction. There's no thing to fight for. There's. It's the. It's that same sort of thing I'm talking. Like what drove the Americans. To, the, the Anglos to go over to America, what drove the, the creators, what drove the Romans outwards to fight for something, to take risks, to risk everything. What, what, what pushes people towards that? And there has to be something that's burning inside of you to want to do that. And most people, first of all, don't have that. And it, it's not being provided to people who do. You think about why people died for Napoleon. Why did they die for Napoleon? Well, Napoleon promised them on some level an, an identity. They promised them you will be part of France. France will be this great nation which re revolutionizes and reforms all of Europe. And I will be your leader to this new revolution, this new society. I'll take you there. We'll conquer everybody and we'll do it with style and we'll do it under the, the guise of liberty, fraternity and equality or whatever they called it, that type of stuff. Right. And then that, that, that people, Napoleon said to the, the kings of Europe, he sat them down and said, you're not going to beat me because I can spend 30,000 men a day if I want. I have so many people who are willing to die for me because they believe in me. They love me and they love what I, I stand for and all this stuff. And um, people nowadays, they just don't have that at all. There's nothing they want to die for. There's nothing they want to stand for. There's nothing, they, there's, nothing, there's nothing out there that's kind of bigger than that. There's nothing in them that screams for something higher and, and specifically what you're sort of talking about is the ability to overcome that fear that's literally the ancient roman definition of virtue the ability to overcome that fear and assert yourself onto something higher and the trick with that is that it's 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 like fundamentally the, the male trait of wanting to take risks in order to right. take greater gain like like uh thomas was saying earlier about the hindbrain like that's literally the answer the opposite yeah. of fear 
is the hindbrain, weirdly enough, is that will to say, I can gain something, I can create something, I can assert, I can mm-hmm. leap forward and all this type of stuff. And people just don't have that. People aren't connected with that. Now, I'm wondering if part of that is because people have a massive bad conscience related to what that might entail, which is to be creative. Sometimes to be creative, you have to be a bit messy in what you create. You might have to break a couple of things. You can't make an omelet without breaking some eggs. Um, but people people really, really struggle with this. And I, I, I'm not sure where it's going to go. And then when I look at um, stuff like, you know, the, the, the globalized corporations coming together to basically create a new society and basically swing their dick around and say, if you don't participate in this, we will crush you out of it. And um, who is going to stand up against it? You know, is it going to be the nations? Like, I don't know. Do the nations have enough power to, to I don't know. Would people die for their nations? They, they can certainly go on Facebook and say that I'm a nationalist. Yeah, they, that's an easy meme to get on top of. But sure. like the Irish, like no Irish lads are going to go to the fuck and, and make bombs out of fertilizer to kill uh, the Facebook executives. They're not going to do that. Nobody in is Minecraft. going to. In, in Minecraft, <laughs> apologies. Nobody's going to do robots. that. In, no, nobody's going to do that in France. Like no, they, I, nobody. I, 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 well, there I would, was that one woman with YouTube, but I mean, that's... I, yeah, I, but that was I, for her YouTube account. That was for her. Oh, yeah, that yeah, wasn't yeah. for her that's nation. True. Well, that's yeah, like, her livelihood at the very least. At least she thought it was. But I mean, she obviously had some issues. But I, I would say that I don't know who the quote was. God, maybe you guys refresh. Who was it? Like you said, like the average man doesn't really want to be free. He just wants to be safe, right? Yeah. I'd say mm. the, the, I'm not sure who that was, but but also keep in mind though that one thing that I find is really. I mean, I, I guess it's almost discouraging about we say we want people to stand up. No, I won't do this. Like, hey, take this risk. But the ones that are usually telling us to do that are ones who've already made it, who are already yeah. like what financially secure. They don't have to worry about paying the rent for the most part, right? They don't have to worry about paying the rent. They've already, you know, they've already got a little bit of fame. They know that no matter what, they'll they'll be okay, right? Generally speaking, so it's somebody who's you know they're not making a lot of money living paycheck to paycheck and you know and when they go to the hr meeting and they have to say the right words and okay we all smile and nod and we just shut up and then we go back to our jobs and a lot of folks so like kind of don't take it seriously that's one thing that's interesting a lot of like you know they're you talk about the social justice stuff or the critical race theory any of those things out there that's that's really permeated not just academia but also you know the hr departments across all over corporate america i'm assuming europe might be the same is that a lot of folks just don't really take it seriously which is a good sign i actually think they just kind of smile and nod like okay okay and then you know get behind closed doors like fuck these people right i don't know i mean maybe uh, maybe that's happening but it's really hard to get somebody to like hey stand up for and, and you know to say like what am i what am i pushing back against what am i putting my mortgage or my or the rent or my family and my livelihood on the line for again because yeah. you know you want me to you know say a certain say these certain words you know a lot of people are just gonna like yeah fine they just fucking go through the motions yeah and, and, and also that happens in, in a lot of authoritarian countries as well you know yeah, well, that's that's how that's how the like the Russians got into their position, and the Germans, like like Adolf, big bad Adolf, he was often complaining about that. He was saying communism is sleep is seeping in here. He was terrified of that, and uh, they got into Bavaria. They took over Bavaria and all this type of stuff. Even think of the Christians in Rome. Like like why did they succeed? It's because they were willing to fucking die, man. They were willing to be like, you feed me the fucking lion. I don't give a shit. I'm not saying Jesus is the true God because he is. Fuck well, you. And the Romans were like, they won't yeah. die. What the fuck? We can't get yeah. rid of them. And well, it's the same kind of question I'm, I'm po- positing here because the, the nations, do they have that much charge anymore? Do, do we believe in ourselves as nations anymore enough? Maybe we do. Maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe I doubt. And, and I, yeah, sh- I should Tom, be careful. Tom, you, you've got but, the inside scoop here. So I'm, 
Yeah. Well, but, but, uh, what do you mean? I mean, just, are we saying that what do nations have the same power? I mean, no. I, let me let me finish the thought sure, more sure. than anything because mm. because you think about this. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm suggesting that in order for you to overcome fear, you need to have a fucking reason to do that, and it, it needs to be kind of one or two things: something you're willing to die for, or something you're willing to die for in order to gain something. And right. so this is like you know the kind of idea of do I risk going over to America? Well, I may gain 40 acres in farmland, like that type of thing. Boom, right? That's maybe a risk you'll take. Or uh, do I do, like me, an Irish dude, do I risk fucking shooting a British officer and getting my entire like neighborhood fucking cleansed because of doing something like this? Well, anything for Ireland, you know, anything for freedom, anything for freedom. There's a kind of big question. And do you think people have it in them enough to fight for something like that? Maybe if things get worse and freedoms get more restricted, people will fight for that. But will they fight as nations? And that's a really big question. Like, will we, because we're more globalized. And this is actually, like, I hear a lot of people talk about this. It's like, it's globalism that's coming to get us. But, like, we are fundamentally more, motherfuckers, I'm talking to you from, like, across, like, in the middle of Dublin, you know? Like, we're we're in this, we're in this together, and we're dealing with the problem of globalization. And I'm wondering, is nations really in the position to do that? Maybe they are. I don't know. There's, I'm such a young dude that I can't know this stuff. But I see it from these psychological principles and fundamentals. If we expect people to display higher value, they're going to need something a, a, a sophisticated framework to justify them to do this is that going to be a religion is that going to be a, a nation is that going to be an ideal like freedom is that going to be maybe a story that's bit, a bit bigger like maybe and i think like this is very possible a character like napoleon might show up someday and he might point and say guys yeah, we're not going to do this fucking whole thing where we're all going to turn into, you know, like you're castrati or something like this. We're going to go a different direction. <laughs> Bugman. We're going to go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I, I, I totally get. No, I, I agree. Um, I would say that I'm almost more afraid of not so much like a government. I'm more afraid of a corporation. I mean, really, yeah. like, I mean, you can argue. Amazon. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's it, I don't think it's even it's, it's I think it's objectively true that Mark Zuckerberg is more powerful than most heads of state. This, this reminds me of my article I wrote for I am 1776, where I talk about this. This was after the, uh, the flim flam that happened in the, you know, what on the sixth Lev, right. if you could link that you'd love this one, Tom and Uber Boyle. Um, it's, it goes into like Giorgio Agamben and Michel Foucault, but um, I want to wait, 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 which link Gio, you always tell me about these links. I am 1776. It's called gotta, Biopower gotta, 2.0. Okay, here we you go. Know the Bio. One. Yeah, yeah. So th- this quote, because it summarizes my thoughts even more than anything else. This is another quote from Metaphysics of War. Um, so Evola says, the fundamental principle underlying all justifications of war from the point of view of human personality is heroism. War is said offers men the opportunity to awaken the hero who sleeps within him. War breaks the routine of comfortable life. By means of its severe ordeals, it offers a transfiguring knowledge of life, life according to death. The moment the individual succeeds in living as a hero, even in those final moments of his earthly life, weighs infinitely more on the scale of values than a protracted existence spent consuming monotonously among the trivialities of cities. From a spiritual point of view, these possibilities make up the negative and destructive tendencies of war, which are one-sidedly and tremendously heightened by pacifist materialism. War makes one realize the relativity of human life and therefore the law of more than life. Thus, war has always had an anti-materialist spiritual value. Wow, that's amazing. That's what we're saying. And there's nothing that breaks us out of our... But but Gio, to flip it the other way around, there's going to be a lot of Gio Panichetti's out there, my concern. There's going to be 
lot of geos out there who are going to raise the banners of war while other people are going to go <laughs> well, and maybe fight not me. under under I'm some dictator capable of under such some things, uh, under but... some reactionary dictator that comes along. Like here's my other concern, guys. Like well, Tom, go... one of the things that we keep oh, talking man. about back and forth on the show is that while I agree with the problems that Geo points out. The thing that I'm concerned most about, and we've seen this again, like uh, in uh, Nazi Germany, for example. But the biggest problem that I see here is that when we have all of these leftist ideologies that come out of the woodwork, a lot of people tend to think, you know what? The only thing that's going to be able to crush this is going to be if we have like a top-down dictator that's going to come in and kill our all, all of our enemies, and they're going to leave us alone. They're going to leave Geo alone. Don't, don't worry. They're going to leave you alone, Geo. They're not going to line you up against well, anything. Well, Uber had know. a point, then we'll go to Tom. Uh... Yeah. No, no, but but I do want to kind of uh, get uh, real quick uh, no. uh, Uber Boyos and then Tom's opinion on this part of it as well, because it does kind of concern me. Well, I, w I want to put oh, it actually man. more more down to Geo um, because I'll talk about your question in a second. And then I've got to kind of wrap up. It's coming up to midnight here and I can't oh, be yeah. talking about yeah. can't be talking about I IRA secrets anymore. I'm going to have to kind of wind them in now, lads. I think I've, I've done enough. Um, so Geo is bringing up the metaphysics of war. So it's, it's a very, very interesting thesis. And, and I, I would like to reframe it back with what I was talking about in terms of the fear thing, because we put ourselves in the jangling nervous system of some boyo sitting in the office and he's threatened and he fears and he feels the, the 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 jolt of cortisol shoot into his stomach and give him butterflies when someone looks at him and says say the fucking words and he doesn't want to say them because he doesn't believe them but he's going to say them because he's afraid of losing his job now why would he choose to do something he's in this sort of position where he's going to have to make a choice now every choice is an identity so if he chooses to say the words he's probably going to have to find a way to make that coherent to himself so he might actually decide to believe his own bullshit now what's waiting for him is this identity where it's like you're a good person if you say the words if you go along with the crowd if you do all this stuff your identity is a good person you're a good little person all this type of stuff now to be honest that's pretty good deal you know you're going to feel quite good about yourself if you choose that it's not a it's not a necessarily uh noble or real or any of those things but it feels good and it will feel like you're part of the crowd you're part of the community and all this type of stuff now the big problem that you're seeing with a lot of people is that there's no identity to 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 represent the 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 person who you could say does the noble thing does the the heroic thing does the beyond thing does the ascendant thing if you will there's, there's no identity for someone who says no i'm going to do something different i'm not gonna i'm gonna go against the authoritarian thing or whatever you want to call it there, there's very little identity other than like uh niche internet reactionary you know like that's pretty much all you really got it's like i'm an anon on twitter now is that what i am i'm sort of like that's I'm my come graper 1488 yeah whatever <laughs> yeah, right? yeah exactly God. and like and think about think about the quality of that of an identity compared to i'm literally like i keep going back to napoleon because he's just such a good example of this compared to i am a member of napoleon's army we are revolutionaries overcoming the authoritarian royal regimes and establishing a new order to last for a thousand years and we're going to do this with glory we're all going to do this together as a, as a brotherhood for the sake of liberty like fucking hell bro and then you're with the most badass commander who's ever lived who just literally just wins battle after battle after battle after battle that's 
a fucking identity, man. And that's an army you want to be a part of. That's why men used to cry when Napoleon would show up. That's why that happens, because he has that thing. And that's why they would die. And I don't think they probably suffered from as much maybe PTSD as we do nowadays, because they had a reason. They had someone they were invested in. They had someone who was assertive. That wasn't cum groip or 1488 or whatever it was. But they were that's invested. Yeah, oh, I'm a phalangist and I'm yeah. going to have the fucking flag. And No, but, but people uh, were invested in Hitler, too. I so love the phalange, by the way. I'm not differentiating. Well, yeah. See, there's like in order to think sophisticated about this, like you would look at Hitler and what happened there as like, you know, that didn't happen in a vacuum. Like the, the, the Germans had World War One and the yeah. Germans were trying to assert the will of German idealism upon the world. And that war was basically a decision about, about are we going to become German idealists and is the lingua franca going to be German or is it going to be Anglo? Like that was pretty much, or maybe Russian, but that probably wasn't going to happen. That was the decision. And the problem is the Germans lost. But the Germans weren't, you know, Satan. They were just people who were trying to assert their will. Now, they did it in ugly ways, but everybody did it in ugly ways. The Russian did ugly things as well. And there was no good guys in that war. You know, there was a nuclear bomb dropped by the Americans. That's not, like, that's not noble in any yeah, but if way. We're, funny, if we're talking funny, about the though. war, that's one thing. But well, no, if we're no, talking about domestic it... policy, that's another. I mean, say what you want about wow. the Japanese internment camps. There was still a difference of procedure when it came to the Japanese internment think, camps. And... You're asking you're asking why people would follow someone like Hitler. So think about just the standard German. And he's walking around his, his country and he's seeing he's just after seeing Russia have gulags for 20 years, exterminating their Christian population, turning it into an atheist satanic regime where they're like eradicating the people and then starving them just after the holodomor and then these germans have this crazy bastard who's standing up there being like and they're like and he's like we will we will go and fight and we will make sure they thought the the war mark they thought they were you know they were fighting they thought they were fighting global bolshevism and the thing is it's funny because hitler he had this sort of like weird reverence like people don't talk about this but he had this like weird reverence for anglo like imperial um the model of he basically like wanted the british empire for himself some people have said i know thomas 77 was going into this where he basically like wanted the british to retain their colonies i mean like these had this like weird like affinity for the british which people which is kind of weird people don't talk about it right he wrote about that saying how you know what what one of the things that that he looked at doing was he said like okay well we'll control europe Right. Yeah. yeah. America will control North. Yeah, he wanted to leave the, like, America alone. Like he wanted. Yeah, it. America alone would control he, that. The he British read the Turner the thesis and all that shit. Yeah, the British so, would rule the seas, and the Japanese yeah. would handle Asia. Yeah. Kind of like how he saw this world order to him, which is crazy. Yeah. Uh, one thing that it, which I, you I, know, I, I mean, it looks like a decent plan to me. No. I'm like, <laughs> so. <laughs> Here's what's interesting though. You talk about like domestic policy, right? And you always worry because you know everyone freaks out about you, you know you know you heard everyone you know Trump is literally Hitler. Trump was worse yeah. than Hitler. We defeated the fascist. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Right? Yeah. So I, I gotta say, like, there's folks out there that I know that are like reasonable people that are very like concerned. Right. Where if things on the and it's not about who's in the White House, because and that's kind of bullshit or who controls Congress. I think that's kind of no, bullshit. That's, really, yeah. I'm really more worried about the culture in general like at the corporate level. But I, you know, that are really concerned that it's like, hey, if we keep going down this road, if it keeps getting worse, like 
we might actually get somebody that uh, nobody's saying like any sort of like a, from a, a racist or, you know, ethnic pers- perspective, but like a true anti-communist, like, you know, a Pinochet, right? I know a lot of folks out there who are like, you know, like their, dis- their biggest disappointment about Trump was like, I wanted Pinochet, right? You know, like something like that, right? Where it's like, hey, you know, and you, I mean, who's, we've, all, we've all seen helicopter emojis, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, the thing is, I was like, I, you know, I'm really worried. Like, Hey, you keep pushing us. And especially folks on the right, like in flyover country, America, you know, the, the, your typical Trump voters, right. There are a lot of folks out there where, you know, I, I think it can go, it can go two ways, right. If it keeps going this way. And, and I think one, the less likely scenario is you're going to see, you know, some sort of a you know, populist uprising. Not nobody's saying a civil war or anything like that, but like, Hey, we might actually bring, like somebody who is actually like what the left thinks Trump was or is at least or, but I think the more likely thing you're going to see is balkanization, right? You're just going to see where parts of the country, you see it now. People talk about like everyone's leaving California. Well, they're leaving LA, right? LA, San Francisco. They're leaving the big cities in California to go to Texas and Tennessee, Florida, right? Where, and and I think people are just self-segregating. And I, and is that necessarily a bad thing? Maybe, maybe not. It would be really nice on a political level if we were like actually truly like really like kind of federalist in the sense we have a weak federal government and strong state government. So, you know, that's great because guess what? Governing New York City where you are, love, is not the same as governing Oklahoma or Wyoming. Well, kind of like the DeSantis is doing in Florida. I wish it was. Well, yeah, sure. It's kind of like what DeSantis is doing, where he's yeah. sort of like having like the free state of the People's Republic of Florida, yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. And he might have a chance to win. Who knows? I mean, yeah, no, he, he's a bit more I, savvy. I think he really does. I, I think he's. I think right now he's a front. He's a frontrunner on that one. But yeah. without getting to the partisan politics side of things, yeah, yeah, yeah. we all of our opinions. But I think big, big picture is I think when we see people get more localized, and like you know, uh, the way I see like you really want to affect change. For a lot of folks, you know, one of the things I think the right has made a huge mistake on is they've gone after like the big, they look at Congress, they look at the White House, the, the big game, you know, the, the, the big federal picture, whereas they've had the left run the table at the state and, and local level, right? For a lot of these, you know, these small jobs where, you know, my city council has a lot more impact over my business and my residents and my daily life than anybody on Capitol Hill. They really do. Yeah. And so I think if we kind of focus a little bit more local, and that's where it's gotten to a point with me where, I, you know, especially now that, you know, I've got a lot of friends who are media and politics and stuff like that. I you know, know folks in Congress and all that crap. Right. And the thing is, I was like, I don't really care too much now about it, what goes on there. Like, I'm more concerned about like me, my family, the people close to me and my little community and everyone else can get fucked. I mean, I'm yeah. not really, I mean, I'm not like, I don't care, but I don't care. <laughs> you know, I'm just more well, concerned about my little local community. Well, to address a judge in the comments, uh, I would I would agree. I mean, what what I think Tom means by Pinochet is like a like more of the ancient strongman that could come in and, and sort of yeah. root out the yes. enemies. But but the reality was Pinochet kind of like he kind of was like the neoliberal dictator. <laughs> I hate to say it, like yeah. you know, I mean, he didn't do he like let the corporations run wild, which was kind of. You know, not look fair. at Lee Kuan Yew, right? So, like, yeah, I, I got, yeah, yeah I, went, I, I went to grad exactly. school in Singapore, right? So, I, you know, I, I oh, I got, so you I, probably know some of those people. Well, yeah, I got a lot of friends mm-hmm. in Singapore. Yeah, I almost moved there. I mean, I went to grad school there and at the, oh, I went to the National University of Singapore, and I love it. It's my second favorite country in the world. It really is. I mean, Singapore's fantastic, food, right? 
Oh, it's amazing. You kidding? Yeah, yeah. it's great. But I mean, it, that, there's an example right there of a right wing authoritarian government, right? Where it's like, you know, they have a parliament, they say it's democratic, but let's be real. Come on. The, the, yeah. the, the BAP yeah. runs the show. And but the question for me, like, how long is it going to last now that the old man's gone? But also with the military, you know? how long could it last? I mean, there's still probably a hero culture within Western militaries. I mean, I'm sure you could say, like, people on the right, they'll point to, like, oh, look at this transgender general. It's But that's not – but when it comes to the actual grunts on the ground, they're still, right. like – they. and let's face it, most of them come ostensibly when it comes to frontline infantry. They come mostly from, like, let's – Texas, mm. Alabama, yeah. um, places like even Florida – you know, and you can majority see that- combat arms guys, and that's one of the things a yeah. lot of people like. You know, the, the majority of folks in special operations are white middle class males. Just yeah, is. and it just is. You know, and, and I mean, you could also there's different reasons, different conversation, and I yeah. can talk about that one. It's nothing racist though. It's nothing racist. Now, now I know, it's I know great. that Uber Boyo, you have to go soon. But one of the spiciest things I wanted to bring up, and that would be so amiss if you were not around mm-hmm. for me to talk about it, would be the thing that I am most intrigued by today which would be the topics of, uh, and I don't know, Tom, if you're in any way familiar with this, but there's a lot of romance today online having to do with all these black projects that the uh, military may or may not have, having to do with uh, UFOs, extraterrestrials, breakaway civilizations. I mean, especially Finally. breakaway civilization. <laughs> exactly. Finally, idea, we're getting to it. The idea that Finally. after World War II, according to people like Admiral Byrd, a lot of the Nazis broke away, went into Antarctica, started their own into stuff the there. Into the hollow Admiral earth. Bird had the, uh, had the, exp- the exploratory scientific mission, went there with all these battleships, and then came back a wreck. And afterwards, he was in the South American newspaper talking about the threat that's going to come from the poles. Lo and behold, we have all these archives of people talking about UFOs going underwater. And just recently, they're making such a big deal out of it. Oh my God, these UFOs could go underwater, as if we didn't know about that for seven years so my thing right now is wondering where is this going to go and again i personally think that a lot of these uh so-called aliens are us meaning like our human form i believe we are made in the image of god in the image of the elohim elohim to mean these higher end human beings with psychic powers that were probably taller than we were that made us that is my personal opinion uh, i believe that we are all over the universe but uh i'm just curious tom where you stand and i'm sure, sure. uber boyo has a thing or two to say about this I, as well. I, 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 everybody I, subscribe I, everybody subscribe okay. I, I, i've got okay so one thing I'll, I'll tell you is is yeah i mean i had the big fancy clearance Right. You know, I got the top secret, the, the TSSCI, HCS, Gamma, all these fancy little tickets and letters on my thing. And so, like, it was pretty cool. I got some access to some, like, information where uh, mostly in the special operation, the intelligence side, uh, I can't speak to UFO stuff or anything like that. But one thing I did learn, it, there, there were some things out there that I learned where I remember I, I went on. So, uh, OK, yeah, I can talk about this. one. All right. So is like there's like you know we, we have you probably seen you might look it up on wikipedia right we have different like classified networks right that are kind of yeah all right we have what we call nipper your non your unclassified stuff that's where you you know you arrange the command softball game and you talk to your wife on that one right and then we got you know then we got another one that's like we call like sipper which is the you know secret level uh which is like a certain a certain classified level and then you got another one you got things called like jwix joint information worldwide communication i don't know which is like your top secret sci stuff right where like you can't just have it you have to like be in a bank vault we call it a skiff right in order to get in there and like nobody's in there right it's like a, it's like a bank vault to get in there and you talk and you have like you have sat in a lot of these right 
and different branches so, communicate with each other information. And, yeah, of course. And it's just an internet. I mean, it literally runs off of like, you know, Windows XP, Windows 10, which is funny because it's like shit, right? And so, you know, it, it's just, but the thing is though, is that is, so some of these programs I had access to. So like one of the things that, that was pretty interesting I learned is there's another, and there's another network called Giant, which is a J-I-N-T, which is a JSOC, Interagency Network Terminal, I think it stands for, right? Which is what JSOC, the Joint Special Operations Command, uses. So Joint Special Operations Command is like your SEAL Team 6, your Delta, uh, a few other organizations, Task Force Orange, TF White, and a bunch of these other guys. That's how we all talk, share information, right? And it's just like standard internet. They're, you know, they use Microsoft Outlook, right? And Microsoft PowerPoint. I mean, and there's a um, Microsoft SharePoint, right? Where it has all these briefs and stuff. And one time when, after I got access to this and I'm working with a particular unit, you work with these guys. I kind of had some downtime and I'm just clicking through briefs, right? Like, oh, here's these white papers. Here's this, this, this. And one thing I'll say is just some of it was, I was like, oh, holy, I'll read this. I'm like, holy shit. And I, I called one of my guys like, hey, hey, Dylan, did you know that we do this shit? You know, I mean, some of it was like, that's pretty badass. That's cool that we do that. I didn't know we did that, right? That was kind of neat. But, and, and the, the side that I worked on for most of the special operations work I did was what we call the counter WMD mission, right? Like stopping, like, this is like your Tom Clancy novel, right? Your doomsday mission. Somebody tries, you know, the snook, right? You know, somebody tries, you know, try to sneak a nuclear weapon into America or one of our friendly countries. And I went through a ton of training, spent a lot of time at like Los Alamos National Laboratory in New Mexico. I got to hold plutonium in my hand. I get to see how nuclear weapons are actually made. It was pretty cool. It was pretty awesome. I got to oh, say. That was right near Trinity, wasn't it? The first. Um... Yeah, so Los Alamos where they did the test area. And this yeah. is and actually Los Alamos is where they manufacture and maintain a lot of actual nuclear warheads. And I got to go inside the facility. And it looks like out of a movie. Like it's like, it's like The wow. Rock. You know, you got the dude with guns everywhere. Right. <laughs> and there's like, you know, like there's like. And I mean, everywhere we walked in the tour, there's like six dudes where they are. It's just following us everywhere. And it was like, there's little viewports and gun ports in case there's like, you know, some terrorist trying to. I mean, it's like cool. a de Deus Ex. I don't know if you ever played that. Oh, uh, you no, know, I haven't. I'm not a game guy. Sorry. But yeah, but the thing is, it was like, I mean, like that kind of stuff. It was cool. It was really, I'm like, oh, wow, this is pretty neat, right? That was cool. Some of the intelligence stuff we did, you know, I got a lot of friends in the IC. Um, but so say all that, right? And there's some really stuff, cool stuff we did. That said, we're really bad at a lot of stuff too, right? Where it's like some of this really kind of highfalutin, big stuff. Like I kind of see it like the people who are in these organizations, there's some really smart people. There's a lot of really average people too. I mean, really, I hate to say it. And it's like, if there's a lot of questions or mystery, like don't be surprised if it's not what you think it is. Like, like don't get your, I'll just put it that way. Like a lot of have times you, have you like, met Have you met a 22 Zeta Reticuli or a gray alien in I your career? Not. And I've got, oh, okay. I've had nothing to do with that um, at all. Um, well, you know, most of the stuff I did was pretty terrestrial. It's pretty like, you know, like, hey, what are we doing with dealing with the Chinese? What are we doing talking to these people? What are we doing to talking to these people? North Korea, China, like stuff that's like pretty like, you know, you can under get your head around. Right. So well, well, did, by the way, did, thank you to Lisa in the chat. Yes. All four of us are quite sexy in this uh stream, oh, thank so. you and oh, the uh, ding dong so. <laughs> ding dong has an interesting comment which is i think the mood of a lot of people and i would love for uber boyo to also uh, uh uh say something about this 
she says <laughs> moon landing is real, footage is fake. Meaning that I think that a lot of people today they see a lot of things that are projected to they, us in the entertainment. There's people that said they had like, to edit the moon landing because there was UFOs on it. That's one theory, but that's well, no, not not uh, even not even that. Just the idea of what exactly we're doing out there. There was that Israeli. Uh, I don't remember his position, but he had like some top position in the Israel space program. Who publicly he was like seventy something years old said that there is a galactic federation out there and we are not ready for it yet. Like they've been, uh, you know, they can do certain experiments here on the earth the israeli set the, the israeli yes. space force mm, yeah exactly no, no but, but, that's, I, i'm familiar with that and one mm. something that is you know not to get too occam's razor about it but you know what's something that's like a lot believable or easier or something like that is that people are just full of shit that, yeah, I mean, that, some people are just full of shit. <laughs> you sure. never know. But it really you depends know? on so, one's respectability so, of age. Like if somebody gets older, you could say either they're there or maybe that they have a certain level of respectability where what they say would be a lot heavier than somebody who would just like be a tinfoil hat. There, there the was that one guy it. from Can my neck of the woods, Canada, Alex Collier, who said that there's multiple alien civilizations that he was in communication with, but he was probably just a schizo. Who knows? Yeah. They talk real quick. They, I saw in the chat, like somebody like Epstein, whatever. Okay. Here's something to smell like, you know, I'm my conspiracy guy. No, but I'll say this much. Are some conspiracy theories true? Yeah, obviously. Now we know yeah. that some are MKL well, e real thing. Epstein. We, what was there this loose arrangement, a loose, you know, no. connection between really rich, powerful people to like trade and you know that we're dealing doing sex with underage girls and wacky shit where their tentacles everywhere. Yeah, we know there was something going on, right? What the details was it in depth? Was it a Satan ritual? I, I don't know. No, no, but there, but there is a very interesting thing here that I just want to mention before going to Uber Boyo finally at last, which is I heard recently there was this uh, Robert Seffer video talking about how, and again I gotta research this to see if this is true or not. But he was basically talking about how it was found out that uh, when Epstein had the massages done, he would never. He would never pardon my French. He would never ejaculate. His whole thing was to have these massages done to stimulate him sexually, much like Gandhi. Like wanted uh, Tantra. Girls to, what, yeah, wanted naked girls to sleep in his bed, but he would never have sex with them. Why? Because he was working oh, with this God. primal sexual energy that, like, a lot of various, let's say, tantric sects and uh, mystery schools believe that, like, everything yeah, even that's in around Theravada us, like, Buddhism, yeah. they say that you well, can't... Uh... Cool. Yeah, yeah, but, no, but, but, but you know, like, the reason is, is that if you take the idea that, like, if you're not a materialist, if you take the idea that everything around us is, like, alive in a certain level, then the idea behind, let's say, Kundalini Shakti is that everything that moves, everything that is animated, fire, water, everything, it's all this primal sexual energy, and people call it chi, ki, prana. I'm sure you've been all around the world, and uh, people are referred to it by different names. And so I think that there is something to be said about people utilizing this energy, and Jung speaks so much about it in Aeon. He may not be saying it is exactly what it is, but he's definitely alluding to it, which brings me well, to Well, he had Boyo. a vision yeah. in uh, the Red Book where he... Uh... Well, I'm not going to get into that. It's kind of like when Bronze Age Pervert said he saw the one Homeric statue, and he... Uh you know, coomed automatically. Mm. So, well, Uber Boyle, Uber Boyle. Fi yes. last Finally. word, my friend, Finally. you have to go. It's late. Yes. So, aliens, kundalini, <laughs> aliens kundalini. doing kundalini. <laughs>
What is your well, opinion? I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually going to kind of kick in. So it felt like it happened. The DMT just kicked in. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'll that's describe... what happened. That's what happens when the Kundalini goes up. The DMT kicks in. You're absolutely right. There you go. There it is. Oh. I'm actually going to kind of uh, wrap up a, a thought from earlier and then we can go on to the to aliens. And uh, yeah, I'm probably going to have to wrap it up here because I'm kind of knackered. Um, yeah. So the the kind of question about it's even back to the sort of political thing and still back at that kind of point of fear and and identity and honor and like basically what would you die for and and, and the identity of what you would charge towards the future for and so um I, you guys are sort of framing it in a political way and i understand why but um, i'm thinking actually in a slightly different terms like i'm thinking in terms of uh, cultural identity i actually think that is more important and mm. um, what i mean what do i mean by that is that um for example in ireland we all in the 19th century, we had the likes of Yeats and all the poets, and they yes. made this Celtic identity. And this this is weird. It's a very spiritual thing. If you think about it, you create this set of dreams in the mind of people. And then we began to see ourselves as an identity. We're the Celtic Irish. And we're unique in the whole world. There's no one like us. We've got this identity. And this is tied to, obviously, a sort of problem. It's like, well, wait a second. We deserve to be free. We deserve to be who we are. And so this comes up with all this music. It comes up with all the, the, the language gets stronger. We have all these rituals. We have all these, this, the way you're seeing ourselves. And this builds up this big charge, this big identity charge. And this big identity charge swells and swells and swells and swells and swells. And all of this stuff is made. Like, all the poets go crazy churning out this new... Um, I, um, new new forms and all this type of stuff and this charge builds up and this all turns into something that every single man of fighting age in Ireland would die for like it it's that big of a deal and it's it's able to move them to sacrifice their lives it's religious in its quality and it drives us towards the, the revolution the second we get in 19 the 1920s the second we get free all that energy is gone it just empties it's just we've blew our nut at that point it's over yeah. and yeah. the identity mm-hmm. it kind of drifts and because we don't have that identity, all we have really is the remnant of like, oh, the English, like now we just kind of get um, seeped into the homogenized um, identity of the modern culture in this type of sense. You know, we're sort of Americanized in some sense. Oh, yeah. And so, again, that sort of question that you're asking, and I see this everywhere, like even the Germans, you know, the Germans and the Nazis, but even before the Nazis, World War One, like, you know, the, the guys in World War One were charging into battle. Half of them had the Bible. The other half were commissioned. Thus spoke Zarathustra. They were like, you know, the fucking Hitler was probably playing Wagner as he was charging into Poland. Like these these guys <laughs> Ring had the, Ring of the Nebulese. Yeah, he was <laughs> they, they, they had an identity. They had like a, a kind of vision for themselves. The Americans, the French, the French, the same like Napoleon was actually the representation of sort of you could say this sort of European high culture um, because you know Beethoven and all them they were libtards in their days they were like liberals they all believed in in revolution and and a new future and all this type of stuff and Beethoven famously wrote a symphony for for Napoleon and then when Napoleon came in and conquered like I think Austria Vienna and um, Beethoven realized that Napoleon was just another fucking warlord and he was like oh fuck and he ripped the whole thing up he was super pissed well, it's off it's funny how Napoleon was ostensibly one of the first like millionaire quote-unquote millionarian dictators of the post-enlightenment era but yet he had to go back and use very ancient uh lessons and sort of the the more ancient spirit there so he's yeah. a great like it's true what Nietzsche said he's half beast half an overman so well, then yeah. even go into the pyramid and meditate in there or is that an urban legend the pyramid. yeah but anyway uber boyo on to the well, uh and, yes, and yes. also, have you ever read Storm of Steel by Ernst Younger, Uber Boyle? 
Oh uh, yeah, I, I yes, I've uh, I've read it. I try to read it in German, but it's fucking hard. It's hard to read, but yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I've checked oh, it out. It's very, it's very good book. It's very good book, and he's another great example. You know, like he was a guy who was anti-Nazi. Like he didn't, he was Boston for them, but he was a staunch German uh, identitarian nationalist. nationalist yeah. You know, and and he was like, you know, in that sort of position, he was like, no, we we Germans are exceptional. We have a culture. We're, we're crazy people, and we're pushing in this war to enact our will it's also an opportunity for me to be like to experience extreme states and all this stuff and um, i think these guys the nazis are like they're a bit too far you know like it's kind of fucking nuts what's going on there but but this is what it is this type Just of thing mm-hmm. but 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 aside from that aside from that um the even like what i'm sort of getting at that that's really important to think about the modern world is that again the cultural thing that cultural identity and what would you fight for what would you die for with that you don't see that like, are you going to die for rap music? Are you going to die for McDonald's? Are you going to die for Friends, the TV show? Are you going to die for... <laughs> Internet, like, the pornography. pornography. Will you die yeah, for yeah. Friends, the reunion? Not even yeah. the TV show. <laughs> Friends, the reunion. And I'm not saying this is some type of slight against the Americans. Like, I don't mean it that way. Like, the Americans are, are, are gorgeous people. I absolutely love them. They've got a great culture. Um, but like all of us are in this like ireland i think we watch friends as much as the americans i say dude as much as anybody else like we've picked up all this type of stuff this is what i mean we're all sort of in this together and there's no counter identity there's no counter culture truly in a, in a true essence you can do cum groiper if you want but i'm not sure if that's strong enough to fucking die for that's the problem and and that, this is sort of what i'm seeing quite a lot of and it might be the kind of thing where you'll have to watch for this it really depends on if it'll happen or not but um maybe one thing like the, the, the way this will play out is that uh there won't be a political movement there'll be a cultural movement and the artists will start to craft a picture uh, and a dream and then out of that will come a charge and then that charge might manifest itself with a political will at some point maybe like i'm not sure if that's the way it could play out but i could see that making sense and i'm not saying that's going to be like a nationalist thing i'm not even sure what that would be it might not even be a a like politics might evolve it might be some type of weird kind of like globalized secret underground internet we don't really know what it would be but but things like this are a bit type of yeah yeah things are really in wait for something like that to happen notice all the 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 ruling class they're into they're into like ostensibly creating corporate like mystery cults around their corporate brand i mean that's you know what i mean like well they have a very strong culture like the the globalists the globalists have a fucking strong as fuck culture man like they have a very strong cultural identity like think about it like you know they they're all all right we're all going to turn into machines artificial intelligence things we're all going to plug ourselves into this it's like a spiritual destiny you know like that's super they, they strong they think that they're at the helm of messianic history and that that's Boom. the way that they're going to go, right like that's yeah that's that's yeah. a strong identity it doesn't matter if you believe it or not it's a strong identity i know dudes who are into tech and i'd sit down and i talk to them about this and they fully fucking believe that one day they're going to upload their their noggin their 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 abstracted consciousness into a usb and stick it up into like the the ai created by kurtzwell and then all pain and salvation will be uh, will be eradicated and they'll all I, fucking I, I, like... I can tell them where to stick that up but anyway yeah. yeah and this is the thing they're tr- they, they they believe that and they furiously believe that their emotions are connected to that feeling and that type of dude he like he'd you know he'd he'd get angry at you he'd he'd commit immoral acts he'd kick you out of your job in order to make sure that you don't get in the way of this there's no animating identity in the different direction none of that stuff before we go on the ufo tom i just want to say you should read it and i highly recommend the people the soldiers that you work for i think you should buy them copies of storm of steel by ernst younger (laughs) you would love no i'm serious okay it would make so much sense. 
Okay. You'd love it. Storm of Steel. I'm not, I'm not even joking. It's Storm of Steel, Mystery Grove Press by Ernst Younger. Uh, you got to okay. read it. You, I think your soldiers would also benefit from it as well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Okay, yeah, sure. Sweet. And um, I'm afraid I'm going to be super disappointing on the UFO take. Like, I, I don't really have anything too crazy. I'd relate it maybe a little bit back to what I'm saying. UFOs look a little bit like... Uh, a cultural phenomenon that's like, you know, you, you can't have angels and demons, so you have UFOs. It looks sort of like this. You can't have a messianic entity from the other worlds coming to save us and decide our future, so you have UFOs. It looks an awful lot like that to me. Again, mm. it's the same sort of question. Like, like is this stuff going to be emotionally motivating enough for people to um, take up arms? And that's really the big question. Like, the one conspiracy I've heard is that the, 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 the governments or something like this are going to collude to use the UFOs in order to create the one world government or something like that and the thing is that people just don't give a fuck enough people aren't threatened enough unless you actually see like you know the, these things floating around like an sure. day scenario you know where it's like uh you know ufo comes down and you know blasts a city to wreckage or something like that but, yeah I mean, like good mars attacks or something but see, like, in all these i think all these scenarios in a way it's a bit of a psyop because they make the aliens look like these weird looking uh, whether it's the grays or you know the elongated creatures my whole thing is again i like thinking of the aliens as just being like tall beautiful human beings there was some that said that if you yeah, had dinner with them in the room exactly that they would, nobody would notice. It looked exactly like just tall, perfect humanoids. So I don't, that's some, what some people. Cause it's, cause yeah, it but makes we, sense we, to me. The, the Irish had myths for stuff like this. You know, yeah, we had the elves, yeah. <laughs> we had the fairies. Yeah, you know, yeah we the had fairies, they were like six Angelings? foot tall. They were, that's, they were like know. tall people. Did you ever and, hear and again, Giorgiani, like, did you ever hear Jason Giorgiani talk about of course, this? Oh, yeah. Of course, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he, he was discussing the UFOs in the context of, like, he said they're basically Nordic elves, like blonde, tall um, entities. Oh, and yeah. the greys are like these little robots they use for this and all this type of stuff. And yeah. I, I really don't know what to make of that. Like, that, like well, the well, stuff Travis he says is super far out. But, yeah, uh, it's, it's, well, we'll no, get look to at the it, universe. But, uh, look how big but, the But even is, actually, right? like, so just to bring up Giorgiani, like, he's a good example of someone who's trying. Like, he's taking a shot and he's saying we should identify as Prometheans, you know? And he's yeah. saying the reason why we should identify yeah. as Prometheans is because there's this conglomerate of, like, uh, Nordic uh, UFOs that are, are trying to turn the world into the Fourth Reich or something like that. I'm not really mm -hmm. sure his stick fully. Well, we're, we're going to have he's him giving... on a th Thursday, August 19th, by the way, if you want to join us. <laughs> Oh my god, yes, I would. That's so good. Cool. Oh, yeah, I don't we're know. taking numbers bit, who wants to be on the stream. So I, no, but it's I'm, I mean I'm a little bit slow. Like I, I don't know enough <laughs> of the stuff. I'll give him a listen. Like well, I'm gonna give him a listen because I'll be like we might be talking across purposes, but I think me and him could have a good chat about Carl Young and, and maybe oh, Nietzsche. Yeah. Cause I, I think uh precisely what he's doing with that, like we are Prometheans, like that's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not sure if that's gonna stick because it's a tall order, it's it's yeah, it seems a bit contrived. Funny. It, but but nonetheless, he's he's actually taking a pot shot at it, if you know what I mean. So you can kind of see the creative I, I spirit in him trying his, to do it. His biggest hurdle, I think, and this maybe because I'm biased, obviously, but the biggest hurdle, I think, is just his like total neglect and even hostility towards Christianity. Because like in a Western context, I, I truly think that that's still a 
it's not he's not gonna like have a good time about actually like getting beyond it you know what i mean like i don't know there's yeah my personal bias but just given the history of like western thought in general it's just so weird to me guys like we have this entire big universe with lots of galaxies and stars and planets and i imagine that whatever happened in uh israel back then with uh jesus christ if there are all these planets out there, why can't that same thing happen with other human beings? I'm not ta- talking about little green men. Again, I'm looking at the human form as being a very perfect form for exploring the uh, existence itself. So basically, like, why not have there be other people out there like Jesus who would participate in that same thing, not only multiple times on the planet Earth, but multiple times in other planets to get people to the state of knowing that there is far more out there, that there is a temple uh, within you, that there is this gate that you can break through and reach to the other side with. At least that's what I got from uh, reading the Gospels and uh, various things like that. Like, there is some, there is something more to existence. Why I was talking about Vril and Kudalini and all that. Uh, and again, I would see, I would just warn, not warn, warn is like uh, too presumptive and patronizing. I don't mean it that way, but, but, but think about this whole idea of what I'm talking about with this kind of cultural thing. So the, the UFO thing, I've noticed a lot of people do this. They read through the Bible. Alex Jones, I've heard say this. They read through the mm-hmm. Bible and say, oh, yeah. you know, Ezekiel was seeing a UFO. And what's actually quite interesting is that he's, he's like, you're sterilizing the Bible and, and adding in the, this new cultural form over it that's materialistically understood when this this is the type of thing that like you're you if you're going to do that you're creating a new worldview which is going to come with a new identity that where these animals living on this earth with these other entities that are basically assaulting us in some way do you really want to kind of fit yourself into that way of seeing things like it's pretty fucked up like i don't know really yeah i'm very suspicious of it compared to the old understanding of the bible even though this doesn't carry any strength anymore because people don't believe in the worldview of the bible but it's like you are chosen by god and there's all these forces and god's on your side and the gospels is and like you know they aren't ufos bro they're fucking demons like that's the sort of uh, kind of statements in there and, yep. and this is this is like um, actually super important to kind of think about because again it comes down to that identity question. I, I, I like and I think that the kind of key thing I'm sort of saying is that um, I would always be super uh, it's just like this is very Nietzsche. I would always look at the things you're you're letting yourself believe and asking yourself are they putting me in the position of a victim and a loser or are they putting me in the position of an, uh, someone who can be a creator and a winner? You know, and if that's the if you look at something like UFOs and it's massively disempowering, there's this conglomerate of aliens that are going to come and take us. Down, and the only thing that's going to save us is uh you know organized world totalitarian government you're like that, all right that, wait a that's, <laughs> that's exactly what john anthony west the egyptologist said on joe rogan he said as much as these like eggheads like the richard dawkins of the world that talk about evolution all the time as much as they disempower ancient man he said that the fucking the ufologist people they're the same that they think that well primitive man was stupid therefore we need aliens to build the pyramids like that's i think but, that maybe they had a hand in it but there were demons though no no but, but Gio, one, one thing that both of you guys may be <laughs> may, may be missing from this equation and i'd love to take to uh, get tom's take on this as well is that you're talking about the machinery is a bit separate from any right. of this let's say five-dimensional going into this light in the tunnel and merging with the oneness of the universe type of deal where for me i see a lot of these entities i see 
us as being an onion with multiple layers and the more you get let's say conscious the less you're an animal the less you're just going according to the instincts of the group like the school of fish or like the herd of zebras or whatever the more you're actually becoming like an ego self which has more responsibilities now all of a sudden you can't just frolic around with mother nature now you have other things you have to do so when you get to that level my whole thing is when you have the ability to go in and find that temple within, find that third eye, uh, whatever you want to call it, find that oneness, that is the power that would be able to protect you and get you to a higher, let's say, state of being, regardless of whatever powers or principalities, as they refer to them in the Bible, happen to be on top of you. Because those things, what is a machine? A machine at the end of the day is also spiritual. It's also something that is made up of spirit. And within that machine would be these tall Nordics, let's say, for example. Yes, maybe they're psychically stronger than you are, but you're all acting like they're the end-all be-all and there's nothing above them. Where I personally think that whatever journey we had to go through or the Israelites or Hebrews had to go through... It doesn't matter who Yahweh was. Yahweh could have been just like a tall Nordic uh, captain of the uh, Elohim that crash landed on Earth or whatever. It doesn't matter to me because what matters is that the information that was brought to the Earth, the information that we have right now, can actually tell us about who we are. Well, can actually get to the core of. Uh, can actually get to the. It's a very core heretical of interpretation itself. of the Christ story, Lev. I don't know <laughs> if I. <laughs> Well, sure, maybe. One thing that's interesting is I, I think it's very important when you talk about, like, hey, don't worry about so much of these external material princes and principalities and all that, because I used to spend a lot of time thinking about that. Maybe it's because I lived in D.C., and that's what that was like, just like the, you know, the, the local pastime, the local industry, right? Yeah. So, but I'd also say, though, that, you know, I, I've kind of, maybe this is me going full Jordan Peterson, right, where it's like sort yourself out right? Like focus on like me. And so I would also, you know, like, look, as far as a lot of those things you discussed, like as far as what ancient history, ancient aliens, or whether there's, you know, there's an alien civilization in Antarctica, whether there's aliens walking among, you know, I don't know. And, you know, this is the part where it might piss off some people. I don't really care. And, you know, and, I, and, and this is me and my son's trip. It's like, I kind of focus on a lot of the stuff where it's inside. So we did use the word demons, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have a different interpretation. Demons are real. They are real. Yeah. Um, but they're not what we think of them. I don't think that they're aliens. I don't think that they are, um, you know, leathery <laughs> monsters or anything like that you see in like Renaissance, you know. And Renaissance uh, woodcuts, yeah. Right, they're not like that, they're, you know, but I think that when you see that is when you say those are um, representations of psychological ills, right? And I don't mean necessarily just a mental illness, but like addiction. Right. Like, and, and so I'm not trying to like bring back to the stuff that I do, but like, but I am, you know, but like, that's the stuff I see. Like, like those are real demons. Like one thing which, which really interesting is, and this kind of plays in the veteran thing is there's a couple of Instagram accounts I follow by current active duty guys who have like a non-accounts and they talk about Memorial day and like, Hey, somebody, there's one guy called um, special operations LARPer. He's a seal who's out there. And he, and he's like, Hey, send me a picture of somebody you knew personally that died. Right. And there's some people sending a picture of a buddy of theirs that, you know, but what's crazy is that like two thirds of them were guys were not guys that were killed in action. These are guys that committed suicide, died of addiction, and the phrase that we use, he the, he succumbs to his demons. The demons killed him, right? 
And so like that is, that comes down to like mental illness, psychological strife, terrible things happening around in your family. And that's where addiction plays part. That's when people talk about like when people, you know, uh, you might have to fact check me on this, but a lot of like, the etymology of the word like spirits, right? We talk about liquor as spirits, right? Like you're possessed by spirit, you're possessed also by breath, but yeah, right, right, breath, right? But uh, but it's also when talk about like alcohol is it like you know is it liquor, right? Like spirits, mm-hmm. right? Like people refer to it as that. So you know that's one of the things that I I think about like in that way those things are very very real. They're more real than aliens, whether those are real or not. I mean, well, it they're, is, they're 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 everyday life. Way. What's that? Thought form, their thought forms that yes, people form. who are inebriated can, let's say, you could even say they're possessed by them. Now, I don't know if yeah. they are actually possessed by them or not in the oh, actual wave like somebody. Yeah. Let, so. let me, let me, um, let me, real quick, if oh. I could just finish this one point real quick, is what's crazy is when I deal with, when I, when I see my team, my staff deal with somebody that's addicted, right? It's less so on some of the older alcoholic veterans, but when we dealt with some of the younger folks, especially the ones who are dealing with opioid addiction, heroin, fentanyl, yeah. all that. When you're talking to them, right, and they're trying to tell you a story, they're trying to tell you what's happening. Oh, I need this, I need that. You know, you're li- they're lying to you, right? Oh, when yeah. you get like, like, okay, any of you guys dealt with a severe addict in your personal life? I mean, Uber, Uber Boyo, I mean, you're Irish. I'm sure you probably had They're all around <laughs> oh you, right? God. Gotta be, they're all Irish. Oh, that is cold. <laughs> That's but, I, I had to throw the Irish joke in there a little bit, all right, guys? Is, is the thing is, is when you're dealing with somebody who's really in the throes of addiction, you're you're not talking to them. Like that person isn't there. They are possessed, right? They are possessed. They will lie. They'll cheat. They'll steal. I mean, like how much petty crime is committed by drug addicts who are trying to get something to steal something to get money to get drugs? I watched a 23-year-old woman, young woman, give up her baby, her baby. 10 month old baby for heroin. Well, quite literally. I mean, it was like, she literally like the, the baby was taken away with child protective services. Fortunately it was with the father's parents and they're going to adopt her, but they're telling her right now, it's like she'd been in and out of drug court all this time. She came to us. She was not a veteran, but she came to us. She was in and out of drug court, all these issues. And it came down to like, look, all you've got to do is just stop doing heroin. We know it's hard, but if you don't, you're going to lose your baby. And guess what she chose? She chose fucking heroin because she was possessed by the demon of addiction. And whether you want to get religious or Christian about anything like that, but I mean, look, look, I mean, it, it's how you want to use that word. So when I think about when you guys throw out the word like demon, something like that, like that's, that's a real thing. And I think that in the past, when we talk about psychological disorders and terrible things and, and addiction and all the other terrible aspects of, of the, the human, of human nature, we don't really know how to like really in war and all this other stuff. It's like, we, we don't really know how to make a representation of those. And that's, so I think that's where you get the demons, right? Where the actual physical representations and all these things, I think that's very real. Um, and it's a very real that's thing. Why in Japan, ghosts were often thought forms. Uh, a lot of uh, ukiyo-e uh, woodcuts, they have like a lot of mythology, like Japanese folklore from no theater. A lot of them basically were ghosts or hungry ghosts that were like Uri demons that were summoned by someone's trauma. The most famous one being the um, 
woman who lost her baby in childbirth and the demon the the ghost carries the head of the child with him right she summoned the ghost (laughs) through her grief so that's like very much in keeping with what you were Mm. saying yeah so i mean the only the only difference i would say and i think we pretty much agree on a lot except for maybe one thing where i lean more on this existing and you may be more agnostic is that there is this realm of thought, realm of thought forms, like dream realm, astral realm, whatever you want to call it, where a lot of these things that we're describing, what make us us, what make us act the way that we do, it's all found within this realm, and it's a realm that can be accessed by all of us, and it's a realm that all of us are kind of like the branches, uh, and that that realm's kind of like the root of that makes sense. I mean, Jung also talks about uh, a lot of these things, and well, personally for me, it's interesting, but yes, Uber Boyo, yeah. I'm generally agnostic on the details, but I'd say in a very broad stroke, general sense, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. Mm. Um, so to build on top of what Tom's saying, uh, again, go, to go sort of back to what I was suggesting, like, all right, so let's say, let's just fucking go for it, right? Let's just let, let pull the mask off, lads, right? There's aliens out there, right? Yeah. What's going to have to happen is if aliens come down or if i don't know the globalists or if it becomes a libtard ent- empire or i don't know whatever it is or it's like extremists, so, so, something crazy happens some bad guys take over and we're all freaked out we're like all right guys what are we gonna have to do it doesn't it's not gonna make a fuck bit of a difference what we believe it is if we don't have the will to stand up to it and fight against it and as i said that's going to require it's going to be fully necessary that they have a they have a, a, a cultural identity of some sort. You have some type of glowing dream in your mind of who you are and what you're fighting for in this type of regard. And when you look at what Tom is trying to talk about, like this is so important to understand that the problem for us is that the vast majority of our creative potential is currently massively inhibited by vice by vice and by the demonic forces within man to get addicted to shit, to, yeah. to do all sorts of terrible things in that type of regard. And, and that's whole it's holding us back in this type of regard so i think the most important thing would be us liberating ourselves from that in the first thing now um i think that's a great point to end it on tom it's been a pleasure to talk to you lev thank you so much looks like geo had to bounce Uh, but gentlemen i gotta go go yell at i think it was his family or somebody yeah no (laughs) little me came with us share i'm like (laughs) that was pretty funny yeah Yeah. i was kind of spooked i can't believe it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right, all right Uber Boyo, thank you so much for thank coming so in much. here yeah, talk to you, man. I'll, I'll shoot you yeah. that was great talking to you man I'll shoot you a DM here a little bit it's been amazing excellent, Guys, excellent fo- I'll, follow I'll Uber asleep, Boyo but I'll, I'll message back tomorrow yeah yeah we yeah. gotta do the Georgiani stream so that's uh, that's gonna be coming up and, uh, oh shit! Oh, and also, shit. Uh, okay, Owen Cyclops. Uh, Owen Cyclops, if you're listening to this, reply to my DMs. Uh, congratulations! I know you're having the baby, and that's a beautiful thing. But I also know that you're we very have active to argue on Twitter, and I keep and I keep sending you. I keep sending you messages saying to go into the mutual DM that I made with you and Uber Boyo and to reply. So please. I got to know if you want to do this or not, because you said that you wanted to do this. So let's follow up on that. Anyway, that's for you, Owen Cyclops. And for anybody who's listening to this, who knows Owen, send Owen a DM. Just to Poor remind Owen. Him, okay. Owen. Poor Owen. Pestering. He's, he's a new father. And we're like pestering him. Yeah. Have like a well, autistic, wanted, like, autistic the... argument about Nietzsche versus Christianity. <laughs> then he wanted like the, the Logo Dallas debate, too. That was another one. So I Owen has he... like double duty. <laughs> If you can get if you can get as many Christians as possible, because I'll do this in good faith. Like I won't I won't be kind of like a yeah. snarky Richard Dawkins, but I would love to get 
Pajot. I'd love to get all of them to well, sit down. Well, we're going to have Pajot on. We're going to have Pajot on. I don't know, like, if you want, you can uh, uh, stick around for that one as well, but it probably is going to be more about... I mean, fuck it, why not? I kind of wanted to split well, Pajot I don't know, up. I don't... Like, maybe later on, like, I, okay. I just... Okay, like double, his, yeah. his first debate, like his first thing yeah, to yeah, ask yeah, debate yeah. is kind of like ask, yeah, ask him first because like I know, like I know this stuff gets really, really like I know it's an, it's 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 annoying for people. I, I don't want to be sitting there and putting people. Well, in that's bass even better. Good. That's even better for break the rules if we have Peugeot on first by himself and then have another episode with you. Perfect. I I love it. So we're gonna Ooh. we're gonna figure it all out. So anyway, Uber Boyo, thank you so much. You have been a trooper. Uh, what what time is it right now in Ireland? It's, it's twelve forty-seven, motherfuckers! Like Jesus Christ! Yeah, I've get up. i get bad. up at eight as well. Oh, right, I'm, gonna go, wait, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go wash to try to put myself to sleep. And if I you don't hear from me again, I got abducted by the Nordic Georgiani alien or something like this. Uh, so, uh, continue the cultural project, I guess. I'll talk to you later, gents. Talk to you later. Take care, everybody. my friend. Yes. So we are we're going to the end over here. I just want to thank everybody for watching this and subscribe, subscribe, and keep on subscribing right now. All of Uber Boyo fans, you're gonna have Uber Boyo back. And uh, what I really want to do is later on, like Tom, I would love to have you back uh, again if you're interested oh, yeah, in coming 100%. back. It was a blast. Excellent. You are incredibly fascinating, and you are doing. You really are doing God's work. And guys, you could find Tom Sauer at a. Uh, uh twitter over here so first uh, let me thomas b your... sour p-h-o-m-a-s-b as in boy s-a-u-e-r thomas b sour here we go let me scroll down over here all right so here yes excellent so guys be sure to follow thomas and uh go to his uh how do you say it miriam uh, uh miramar uh, Mi miramar, miramar. yeah and so we just you know as everyone knows uh just let you know we, we don't treat ex we mostly veterans but we treat just about everyone uh, as well. So it gives call. We, um, yeah, it's interesting because we're one of the more like higher end, which is really nice. We're able to provide treatment that a lot of these veterans would never be able to afford in the real world, in the normal world. So it's a, you know, nice high end kind of place. You know, ordinarily before that, we treated folks who were either had a lot of money or had a really nice private insurance policy, uh, treated a few high profile folks, can't say names, but yeah. And um, it's, I'm really glad that we're able to offer something that graded that to veterans who ordinarily wouldn't have the means to do it, which is awesome. It's really, really rewarding. So happy to do it. And uh, thanks, Ogre. Uh, some of these comments were fucking hilarious, by the way. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I, I found out I'm a Mossad agent. God, I wait, they don't pay. <laughs> they do. So anyways, all right. But hey, thank you very much, man. Thanks, Lev. Thanks, Gio. And uh, yeah, thank you. And, uh, and guys, don't forget that we are going to have another stream this Thursday, and that one's going to be with Gavin Wax appearing again with us, Gavin Wax, and, of course, appearing again with us, Jessica Deloach. Uh, Jessica Deloach uh, and Gavin, they are going to be reverse debating. So, uh, Tom, I don't know if you know this, but we do reverse debates where one person would argue for the other person's position. And this one is going to be a Democrat-Republican strategist. So uh, the Democrat, notice that the Democrat is in red here and Republican is in blue. So I switch that's good. it up. Steel Man, that's a really good one. You can steel man the, 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 your, the opposing argument. I think that's really good. It's a really good grasp. And a lot of folks, I did debate a little bit when I was in, in undergrad at Naval Academy. And like oh, it was yeah. really fun when you could argue one position. It was like, who do we to foreign policy crap? And then flip it and argue, argue the other side. And if you can win both sides, that's great. So Absolutely. I think it's awesome. 
and Gio was also taking part in uh, one of these with uh, a ale girl. Ooh. I don't know if uh, <laughs> I know. I, keep, I always, I always, no, I always want to remind everybody of this one just because I love the logo for it so much. So Tom, just real quick, I don't mean to take up too much of your time. I just wanted to quickly show you this over here. So this was the uh, logo oh. that my father painted of Ayla girl. Oh, She's man. one of the top people on OnlyFans, and see what it says the over top here on her. Gio. Geo, yes, exactly. Oh my nice. god, that was that was quite a horrific ordeal. <laughs> but and um, it was about women's rights, so it was it was a lot of fun. Oh so, man! So there we go. Terrible. So guys, don't don't forget to set a reminder for the event that we have coming up on uh, on Thursday. As always, follow me on YouTube. By the way, I forget to always plug that. So YouTube.com/slash/LevPoliakov. Please follow me on YouTube for the Lev stream. That's every Sunday, and I'm gonna see who I'm gonna have on. It's gonna be a surprise. It's gonna be a special guest. That's gonna be on Sunday. Hold on, there's some noise coming through my speakers. That sounds like uh, okay. There we go. So that is it. Geo, plug your stuff. What do you want to plug? Um, well, you know, Instagram, YouTube, my YouTube tomorrow, I'm going to come out with a art review video of the art of my friend, Robert Stark. So yeah, subscribe to my YouTube channel as well. Excellent. And is there anything else, Tom, that you would like to plug before we, uh, before we leave? No, I'm, I, uh, yeah. Miramar recovery is, uh, is our business. That's, uh, the website's in the bio and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just really was happy to be here. This is fun. Uh, it was, it was really enjoyable. It was not what I expected. It was fun. Like <laughs> what I like watching and listening to the last one is like, we kind of go all over the place and, uh, it's, it was fun. It was interesting. It was cool. I liked it. So I'm happy to do it again. Look forward to it. And uh, I'll be tuning in for some of the next ones. I'm going to start listening to, uh, some of the previous ones. Excellent. Excellent. And lastly, and lastly, don't forget to follow us on Twitch on D Live. We are simultaneously streaming there, and for the first time today, we are also simultaneously streaming on Odyssey. So, for those who don't know about Odyssey, I just want to quickly say that uh, I think Odyssey is going to be a very important thing coming up uh, in the next couple of years. The videos never get deleted; they're always there, and I think that that is a very good thing, especially today with a lot of the censorship that's going on. And uh, I think that they use uh, like a uh, BitTorrent type, type blockchain. Of yeah. yeah and here is the link to this same stream that is streaming on odyssey it is right over here and uh go there just subscribe to odyssey make an account doesn't matter how you do it just subscribe to odyssey please do it for us okay we got to grow this thing so that we can stay afloat and we're going to have a lot of great guests coming up as well like i mentioned we are going to have the democratic republican thing june 3rd we are going to have sean mccarthy tuesday june 8th we are going to have jonathan Peugeot thursday june 10th we are going to have uh the uh, fed post boys uh blacked com pilled coming in tuesday june 15th of course with mk ultra uh money he's coming in there and we are going to have bog beef tuesday june 22 we're going to have tara Z she's polish so that's why it's so hard zezepanki coming in t thursday june 24th she is a wonderful New York City based of Polish vlogger and we are going to have Sticks Hexenhammer 666 coming in hot Tuesday June 29th at 11am because he lives in the Dutch 
the Dutch lands, so he gets a, an early stream. Uncle Doomer, Thursday, July 8th. Then we are going to have, okay, a couple of unknown over here until we get to Wilfred Riley. We're going to have Dr. Wilfred Riley uh, of uh, Fair coming in Thursday, August 5th. And we are going to have, like I mentioned before, uh, Jason Giorgiani coming in Thursday, August 19th. So there we go. That is on the menu right now, fellas and ladies and gentlemen, everybody. Thank you so much for watching. I appreciate All each and every last one of you. All our streams for White Boy Summer. Oh, White Boy Summer. Oh, and by the way, Patreon.com slash Break the Rules. I would be amiss if I did not plug in Patreon because, guys, we have to keep on growing and we are going to grow thanks to your help. We've kept getting new patrons this week and i'm so excited for that because you guys are going to be in for a treat we are going to be starting to up the ante on all the patreon only streams where you get to see us walk outside you get to see me lev walking outside in front of other people how exciting is that so that is coming cool. up for for you guys if you IRL become a streaming. patron irl streaming but don't forget this is very important guys don't forget that if you become a patron, $5 patron, secret Discord areas are going to be given to you. If you become a $20 patron, you are going to get a uh, beautiful magnet. Here it is, the definitely legit magnet. Tom, what do you think about this magnet over here? I'm just going to do a quick zoom in. That's pretty cool. Wait, what, what is that of? So this is Cherry, and my father, Alexander Polyakov, who is a great artist, he uh, makes these uh, magnets of all cool. different kinds of things. And this is definitely legit. He's a pretty popular per person on uh, on this uh, you know weird side of Twitter. And yeah. he has an avatar of a collie dog. So we okay. made this collie dog of him like with the shine like you can make the eyes shine if you like put a flashlight in it i'm not going to do it because it's too much time but you the patron 20 dollar patron you get to have a beautiful definitely legit magnet if you can become a patron today this is going to go away soon so become a patron today so you can get it so uh, 30 dollar patrons are going to get a beautiful print from giovanni panichetti here is the patreon print in action over here here look look, look at him go here is the uh oh we can't look. see it but it's... yeah you yeah you, you guys can see it hold on what am i even magnetized here we go yeah look at that from the tfw no gf series and of course you are also going to get for 50 dollars all of the above plus you are going to get whatever painting my father did of the thumbnail as a custom print whichever one you want he's going to do that as a print you are going to get jules's beautiful uh uh painted warhammer 40k figures and you are also going to get another painting from geo in the bob style and you are also going to get beyond all of that another magnet and this is a custom magnet meaning whatever you want my father is going to make a wooden magnet out of that of high quality so thank you guys so much for watching i really appreciate all of you take care have a good night i wish you all the best god bless god and bless, here we goodbye. go take hey, care hold on i gotta end